Hi, this is Reese Roper, and you're listening to our newest podcast ever. Hey, everybody, this is Andrew and John, and we love this podcast because it's about us. Welcome to Magnified Pod, the second season, our newest podcast ever. And the voice you're hearing might be closer in the mirror than what you can see. <laughs> Something like that. Uh, I'm Andrew. I'm John. And this is our podcast. And that introduction made no sense, but it doesn't need to because we have Reese Roper on the episode today. Hey, I've heard of him. Oh, man. Um, yeah, we, this is quite literally, um, the greatest conversation I've ever had. <laughs> it's really, you know, I don't want to sell ourselves, uh, hype ourselves up too much, but it was a really, really great and fun conversation. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was super, it was super great. Reese, uh, gave us so much time and was so, so, uh, fun and generous and we are just so grateful grateful yeah. for him and we were we we're gonna get to that as soon as possible we're not gonna <laughs> we're not gonna load top you know top load this this right. front half i'm it's late i'm not even making <laughs> sense anymore you can't you can't top load your front half i always say that <laughs> <laughs> oh god words are difficult um but we just we just want to very quickly um we're not going to get to any voicemails this week because we are leaving this entire episode essentially to our conversation with reese because he deserves it but i we wanted to shout out um a couple people um the first person we want to shout out is um our a new listener Meg um from Monterey yeah. she she listened to our first episode this season i believe it was the first episode where we talked about i did the quiz whether i, I asked you if it was a beer or a ska band <laughs> right. and one of the beers was from Alvarado Street Brewery in Salinas California and Meg's like hey i love that spot let me send you guys some beer. And boy, did she. She really did. And we couldn't be happier. I uh, enjoyed this evening. Yes. A Riot Punch double IPA. Eight and a half percent, mind you. Ooh. Um, that was super delicious. It was uh, very tropical. Um, yeah. And... Lots of lots of fruit flavors going on. What did you have from Meg? I had a Mai Tai PA, uh, which she recommended. I believe she said it was her favorite. It's also tropical. It's also eight and a half percent. Can't go wrong <laughs> yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. Um, so thanks so much, Meg. Yeah, we we super super appreciate it. And you know, she had also made a comment to me recently that she had gotten to an episode where we were joking about. Uh, giving out our addresses to strangers on the internet, and <laughs> and we did it. And all it took was somebody say, "Can I send you beer?" We're like, "Here is all of my personal information." I don't know why you need my social security number, <laughs> right. but, but here yeah. is that too. Here you go. No yeah. problem. Two years in, 
listeners are sending us beer, this thing is starting to pay off. Yeah, uh, we got we got free so, beer. We we're right. talking to Reese Roper. It's, it's all working out. Life uh, is great. So all the air horns for Meg. <laughs> exactly. Um, <laughs> we also wanted to shout out a review that we got. As we've said, uh, leave us a fun review on Apple Podcasts, and we will read it on the pod. And we got one from Casey. Man up, Casey. Uh, the subject is this mag is podtacular <laughs> five stars <laughs> dudes if there's three things i've learned in the last two and a half weeks discovering and binging your whole second season they are as follows one i will excavate the world going out of my way to find some cans of hams while blasting <laughs> andrew's straight slap and track <laughs> no sign two i will wholeheartedly disagree that hurricanes is a snooze tune as i once had the song stuck in my head for an entire week while at an out-of-state destination wedding where I was a groomsman and kept driving the wedding party crazy singing the intro instrumentals. Uh, Hurricanes is interesting. It's interesting. I like it sort of. Uh, Three. I love you guys pod enough that I listen exclusively to it on Spotify, but hitchhiked my way over on here to plop you five whole Estrellas. A little inside joke there. (laughs) Keep it up. Magpod for life. Yes. Thank you, Casey. (laughs) Aaron's for Casey. Please continue to leave us reviews. Yes. We, we love it. Um, We're super grateful. Um, So John, I don't, I don't think we need to, tackle any more business i think we should just jump right into this interview with reese let's do it so our our mutual uh one of our friends uh, you probably know danny leary he's uh he was on the he does the sadie hawkins pod he's a big fan of your guys's and he's the one who went up to you at a recent show like within the last year and had you do that intro Yes. For us. And you were, and the way he related, he was like, you were like, uh, he said, uh, we want you, can you do this intro for my, my friends? They're starting a five iron podcast. And he said, your response was like, why would they do that? Or something, (laughs) (laughs) or something, or something like that. But then you, you proceeded to give a number of just different takes. You're like, okay, so, and then you just like rattle off like five or six different intros for the podcast. So with that in mind, I want to, uh, before I formally introduce you, I want to just throw out some different intro options for you, if that's okay. Yeah. Okay, perfect. Today, we are talking with the brains behind international super hit Shadow of Death. It's Reese Roper. <laughs> uh, from Steamboat to Dreamboat, please welcome Reese Roper. If you gave our next guest a blue comb at any point, chances are you probably have a curse in your entire family. It's Reese Roper. Want to know who to blame for all the memes about mayonnaise? It's our guest, Reese Roper. And today on Magnified Pod, we welcome singer, songwriter, pastor, registered nurse, frontman for Five Iron Frenzy, Brave St. Saturn, and the eponymous Roper. It's Reese Roper. Welcome to Magnified Pod. Thank you. I like them all except for the last one. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, all right. Well, um, is that the mayonnaise one? <laughs> no, though, though it the, was the official like, one. Just straight uh, up. Yeah, okay. No. no, I understand. Mayonnaise is fine. <laughs> okay. Mozzarella sticks. Yeah, we'll get that. Well, you can't can't blame Reese for the no, proliferation no. of mozzarella sticks. That's that's becoming I, Frankenstein. Yeah. So, I, I, you can though to a point because I started that Facebook group and 
uh, every once in a while I'll just post a picture of mozzarella sticks <laughs> on there. Yeah. Oh man. Um, it, yeah. It's it just, brings you're, me joy. <laughs> you're just you're just sort of like feeding the beast. You're just like you know. Yeah, it's. I don't know. There's been a huge resurgence in the mozzarella stick memes lately. Yeah, you and... gotta grease the wheels though. You gotta keep that going. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. It's um, just good content. Yeah. There, there was a huge movement where somebody tried to make it so that it flagged for me to approve because I'm the moderator uh. to a- approve, and there was just tags that would pop up. So mayonnaise, mozzarella sticks. <laughs> And, it, you know, I, for a, a couple of weeks, I would just approve them all, but right. was, yeah, you know, eventually. I, then I, I was mean, on to it. But here's the thing, like 500, I hate 500 frenzy is like the ultimate shit post Facebook group. That's the yeah. whole, the whole point, not even like funny memes, but just like nonsense. So yeah. that's, I yeah. feel like that's where, if I, if where I go to get all of my useless nonsense content. So um, you've cultivated quite a community. <laughs> I, I love what it is become. <laughs> it, it, I feel at home there. <laughs> Good. Well, we are psyched to finally have you on. Um, we have mixed feelings about the fact that you've listened to all the things that we've said, <laughs> um, but are so psyched that you're here. Um, so let's just talk shit about me <laughs> for about five minutes and, and get it all. Actually, it all actually, we were planning on going um, track by track of uh, so far from home, if you're okay with that. Oh, yes. <laughs> You know, let's yeah, do I mean, it. We'll we'll get there, but I I'm a bigger fan of that record than you are. We um, are both bigger fans of that record <laughs> than you are. Uh, should I, can I just um should I just like can I just read just read the lyrics? Oh my we gotta, gosh, we gotta work don't. up to this. We gotta start. <laughs> no, start positive. we're just yeah. We'll start we'll start off start off good. So go ahead, John. I do kind of want to start, you know, with something uh, much more serious: the mozzarella sticks and okay. uh, Shadow Death. But um, yeah, I mean. I think most folks know, but for those who don't, you are a medical professional. Andrew said that in the intro. Um, But, you know, this is a scary time. And I think, A, we want to thank you for the work you're doing, serving people right now. And B, like, if you'd like to talk about it, I mean, what do your life and work right now look like? What advice might you have for people um, during this time? Sure. That's heavy. Thanks, John. <laughs> we, so we could work up to that. I just wanted okay. to like up top say this is your situation right now. God, what a bummer. Jesus. Sorry, I'm the well, worst. Let's let's just end it. <laughs> I'd like so, to thank our guest Reese for being on the show today. John has ruined it. Yeah, sorry. The the I keep this in my studio to remind me. This is like my old it's my I wasn't supposed to walk away from UVA with it, but it's my old um ID from when I worked in the Batman. Yeah, yeah. So it they always flip over, and so I just made it always. It would just flip to Batman. I love it. Well, I but, feel like we got competing comic universes here because your your Zoom name is Spider Man. You got the Batman tag. I don't know what to, I don't know what to believe. Uh, it's because my my Mac. I just put my name in as Spider Man. <laughs> so I'll I'll forget about that, and I'll email somebody about. You know, I, I would like to accept this this job at your prestigious institution, and it's the, <laughs> it says my name is Spider Man. <laughs> I, I think I've lost brand. some jobs from that. 
Um, they don't. They don't want Spider-Man at their institution. I feel like that's a red flag on its own. That yeah, right, you don't want to... He's a hero. <laughs> I, I, yeah, and that's fine. You know that you don't want to work at a place that doesn't want Spider-Man working there. Yeah, it's a, yeah. Indy, I'm really? saying. <laughs> it's a good saying. test. Whether or not I am Spider-Man, which has yet to be determined. <laughs> you don't want. You don't want to work in that place. No. Um, all right, John. So to answer your question, um, so I used to work in a really gnarly ICU in the hospital. Um, they're getting COVID patients and Sonny who, uh, he works as a respiratory therapist. He, he's the dude that has to wear the hazmat suit and go in. He's in the heavy stuff. I am now the director of nursing of an assisted living. Okay. And so most, most of what I do is just preventative and trying to get staff to not freak out. Yeah. So, um, it's mostly us figuring out how we're going to isolate people if they get it. And we've had a couple of our residents that the doctors have said, this person's got a fever. Can you isolate them? And so then we go through the whole thing where we get out the gowns and, put on gloves and goggles and, and do that for like a day until we figure out that they're negative and then go back to normal. Okay. Mm. What about Sonny? Like, has there been, have you heard any updates? How's he doing? He's doing good. Okay. So this is what sucks about Sonny. His wife has, um, she has MS and she's, she's just based off that he doesn't want to bring it home just because she's already fighting you know, enough. Um, she's actually a nurse and she's had to step back just because of her MS. So for Sonny, he's been staying in an Airbnb for about, you know, since the beginning of April, I think. Jeez. To, to not bring it home to her, which is a total bummer. And then he, I guess he hurt his back at work. So oh, man. he was like laid out flat on his back in this Airbnb. Ugh. So, oh, so you're saying he's he's time to get on the podcast, or yeah, it's time to get him. <laughs> also, you know, just, so, just a constant self promoter, John. <laughs> yeah, he he also has a good mustache going right now, so it's Ooh. it's a good point in in time. Well, yeah. my uh, my quarantine mustache was an unmitigated disaster. <laughs> I can't grow facial hair, and so I I went maybe like 11 days or something. And I was like, this is truly one of the most horrific things. So I, <laughs> you know, I shaved it off almost uh, immediately because it was just a, it was a mess. So um, this is, uh, this is quite the feat of, of facial hair. It's a blessing and a curse. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, we can get back to mozzarella sticks, but I just wanted to mention that, you know, it's significant that two members of this band are, in a profession that serves people in this way. And it's such a weird time. And so anyway, yeah. Thanks, yeah. thanks for talking a bit about that. Um, I'm turning it over to Andrew for a, a completely different kind of question now. So um, I, yeah, I mean, I have a, I have a lot of my questions aren't like, you know, mayonnaise and mozzarella sticks, but I, I mean, cause this is, you know, the, the band as we've talked about has, uh, has meant quite a quite a lot to us and something that John and I have mentioned um, on the podcast uh, ad nauseum is one of the things that we we 
like about your lyrics is um, the sort of like the pointing the finger at yourself, the not sort of like um, taking a look at culture and saying how terrible everybody else is, but like also turning it inward and being introspective and, and talking about some uh, significant issues. And, um, and you have written a number of songs centered on questioning capitalism and consumerism and nationalism, you know, as well as our uh, horrific history with Native Americans. And, and this was kind of getting to the point of what we were, a little bit of what we were talking about before we started. Um, but as the main lyricist, did you ever get pushback from other bandmates over lyrics and uh, did you ever feel a little bit like an outsider within the Christian music scene because of the topics that you chose to write about? Yeah. All the time. Um, <laughs> I, even now all the time to both of them. Yes. All the time to both of them. I feel that if I was not the singer um, and not the main lyricist, we probably would have sold more albums. Hmm. Um, in fact, I, I'm, I'm almost definite on that, but I also think that we would not still be around. Yeah. I think that a lot of our fan base um, just came from people being able to chew over those lyrics and kind of there, there's more depth than uh, bands that were more popular when we were starting, especially for sky, you know, there's some heavy stuff in there. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Totally. Um, I, yeah, I, I do feel like we could have done better um, monetarily. I think we could have sold more albums, but I'm okay with, with what happened. And I'm okay with saying what we said. Um, it's funny because hearing you guys talk about it on your podcast on the pod, um, <laughs> I, I hear a lot of just, I, I remember going to Frank Tate, who, you know, ran five minute walk and, and uh, Frank Tate, Frank, Frankie, Frankie T, Frankie T. Sorry. Okay. 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 I know Frankie T. I'm Frankie T. <laughs> okay. Gotcha. We know gotcha. him by his street name. Of course. He would just, he had this phrase where he would say, this is not going to, this is not going to make it in the Bible belt or, or yeah. you know, <laughs> like which, so it, it is an awful thing to say, but I think that it, it is, part of maturity especially as a christian that you just learn to offend the right people right right and so you know we had frank as the adult then and just saying you don't want to do this you don't want to lose your whole message for for what you're trying to say just to you know for this to say ass or hell um let's let's not do that um you know, even you guys talking to Tyson last week, Tyson, yeah. same thing. He he was just like, well, you can do it, but they're not going to put it in the stores. Right. Uh, it won't make it into Zondervan or Lifeway. And I don't know. I don't, I don't regret doing that. However, we are in a different spot now. And I feel like our, our fans are, are also kind of have grown with us. We're adults mm, yeah. now. Right. Um, I don't want to, I don't, I don't want to, I don't, I don't, because a lot of people, I think, uh, play our music for their kids. And I, sure. I don't, 
you know, being a father, I don't want to cause unnecessary conflict. I don't want to lose that message for the kids either, but I also feel like we're not pulling our punches as much. Hmm. Um, and the other thing is, yes. So probably by electric boogaloo, the band was upset with some of the lyrics and we would kind of workshop things. So we'd, we'd sit around and I'd read through the lyrics or I'd give out copies to everybody and people would say, I've got a problem with this. And I had to decide right then if I was going to just pull an ego trip about it and say, well, it, it needs to stay that way because I'm the lyricist and I wrote it that way and check it out. You know, like everybody mm -hmm. loves our lyrics. I'm Reese Roper. I, I could have done that. And I, yeah, don't want to be that person. And, and I definitely don't want to be that person to those guys because they're my best friends. So I feel like if there was something that offends somebody in the band or, or they weren't getting it, then that was on me. You know, I had to either rise to that and become a better lyricist that could explain it in a way that I felt was deep enough or drop it. Um, and definitely I, I, I don't, I don't get all the, I don't get all the people that like our lyrics so much. I, I, <laughs> I, I just, you know, like I, I think um, for me, I, I don't like myself that much. I, most of my drive is just to try and be better. And uh, I don't know. I feel like on most, most albums I'm, I'm pushing that. I'm pushing myself to be better. Yeah, I think that is why people like your lyrics so much. I mean, that's a large part of it. Like when we were growing up and we've talked about this a lot, but like, you know, your lyrics were a significant part of our sort of like social justice awakening, like feeling permission within the church to have artists that, you know, question society, question the church itself. And again, pointing the finger back at yourself, like Andrew was saying, rather than always pointing it outward, which felt pretty different from a lot of punk that we were listening to. So I think the fact that, they were and still are songs that are wrestling with how to be better it, like is different it feels unique and it feels like the kind of thing that um is different from both christian music we were hearing and punk music we were hearing so i don't know i that still resonates with me a lot i feel like that's carried over through the albums even as you guys have matured in different ways but like yeah and i hear the concern about like not wanting little kids to maybe hear some things but like we were <laughs> 13 or whatever when we heard old west and it kind of blew our minds in a really good way so like i'm kind of excited about having my kids get shaken up by some of those things in some ways so right. anyway so yeah and and and, the, and the, to your also to your point about you have you have kids listening to these songs and if the takeaway is like hey let's wrestle with difficult topics let's strive to be better i feel like that's also an important takeaway okay <laughs> this isn't this isn't an, this entire interview is just not going to be stroking your ego but i feel like it's just worth saying thank you i i don't know i when you're i hear you guys talking about this on the pod and i i kind of cringe because the lyrics for the new album we've got 15 songs and then scott yes. just slipped two more to me okay. so i've got two more right which he also slipped to Leonor, so maybe she's going to write better lyrics. She usually <laughs> writes better melodies than I do. 
Hmm. Um, but so all, all 15 of them out of the 15, probably eight are, have a very serious political slant. Uh, into we it. love to hear it. We're into <laughs> it, into it. So, so part, and part of it is just where we're at as a band. Um, sure. Andy and Scott are um, professing agnosticism or atheism. I think Andy is saying he's an atheist now. Please forgive me, Andy, if you hear this and I got it wrong. Um, but it, it's, um, I don't know. It, it's hard to say. We've never liked the label of people saying, are you guys a Christian band? Mm-hmm. Um, because I, I don't, I don't dig that. You know, I, I feel that, um, that, that labeling came about for marketing to get people into Bible bookstores. Yeah. And I feel like um, that happened, you know, in the, in the early eighties. And before that you had Cat Stevens and Bob Dylan that were Christians and they were just singing about Jesus and nobody gave a crap. Right. Um, I want to do that. I want, I like, I, I want to do that, but the two dudes in my band who don't profess Christ who I love more than anything, I don't want them to be hurt by it. Mm-hmm. And I think that that is, that's the most Christ-like thing that I can do as, as Reese Roper. I can't, you know, I, 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 if, if I'm going to say something for all of us, it has to, you know, it has to speak for them too. And so um, the middle ground that I've found, which isn't middle ground, it's how I feel. It's, it's a lot of social justice issues. Mm-hmm. And the problem with that in these times is it comes across as a lot of finger pointing, a lot of anger and a lot of just saying this is wrong. It's mostly, so where I feel that it's okay is that it's directed towards the church and Mm. I still, I still go to church. Yeah. Um, Not now I get to do, (laughs) I get (laughs) to do this to go to church. Right. Right. Um, or watch it on YouTube later, which I prefer because I don't like waking up that early on Sunday. Right. Um, but I don't know. I I don't um, I don't like what the the American Church has become, or the mouthpiece of the American Church, which is evangelicalism. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that was actually one of the things I was going to ask about is that kind of approach, like we were talking about about looking inward as well as looking outward and the five iron message overall, that feels like it's needed today more than ever. I mean, we're struck often by how prescient so many of the songs feel now from like 20 years ago or more um, that, you know, thinking about sort of empire and the ways in which the worst impulses of our country are married to the worst impulses of the church and how much that has played out even more since 1997 or whatever. So, I mean, does the current climate, change the way that you're approaching your writing like i know you're saying it feels more like finger pointing out but dealing with the kind of stuff that needs to be like we're dealing with unprecedented times right now in terms of things that need to be called out so yeah how does that change kind of how you decide what to write about um yeah exactly (laughs) like that's where i'm at i don't know how to i don't so here's a story um, and, and 
it's funny when I listen to you guys go through upbeats and beatdowns. You talked about uh, where's Yermes fifteen, mm-hmm. and and you know I haven't listened to that album in years, so it was totally bringing up all these old memories. But it was it was so cool hearing you guys analyze it. Hmm. Um, I remember writing it, and I remember. I, I wanted to write a song about an experience I had coming home from school. So I went to the university of Colorado at Denver and didn't have a car. I would ride the bus home and we all lived, I don't know, probably about two miles from downtown Denver. So say three miles from where I was going to school. Um, and I had this really late class on a Tuesday and I had to ride the bus home at 1030. And I just remember crazy dude with like a tinfoil hat. I think he had a bike helmet, but it was painted silver. He did have a vest that was, it was, it looked like it was completely made out of duct tape <laughs> and just came up and he was like, man, I got to get, I need some more electrolytes. And he would go, this is a funny thing as I told Scott about it. And he was like, I know that guy. He asking about these electrolytes. <laughs> I was just telling him the, the helmet, bike helmet and the vest. But Scott knew the guy <laughs> from being downtown too. And um, Get him on the pod. Get him on the pod. <laughs> Electrolyte guy. I think he's the president now. <laughs> he probably has better policies. <laughs> he probably does. Um, so. Um, yeah, like all, all of that stuff, people asking me about my tattoo, um, people like a lady who was strung out on heroin with her kids, um, just people asking for change. It happened. And I was like, I got to write this down. I got to make this into this song. And I did. And I kept getting to the chorus or the bridge where I felt like I had to tie it up and make it be about Jesus Mm. and what Jesus was doing. and. I, I, it just dawned on me. I was like, you're lying. You can't, you can't make this be about something it isn't. Hmm. What happened was you saw this stuff and you felt completely lost and helpless. Yeah. Just do that. Just write that song. Yeah. And I did. And you know, at the time I felt like it was not what I wanted, but I, I love what it became. And, and for me as a lyricist, it was like this turning point where I would sometimes start writing with an agenda, but uh, the overarching thing, the theme of all of Five Iron had to be honesty. And so we would never write songs that we weren't feeling. So it's funny. You guys talked about Marty. I love that song. (laughs) So the reason it didn't make the album. It's a little lukewarm on it. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So it did. We, we all loved it musically and melodically. But right. the reason people didn't like it was because um, it was about this guy that um, had Down syndrome that my mom was friends with when I was a kid, and he lived next to my babysitter. Steamboat was a small town. It was like 12,000 people. So this guy um, lived next to my babysitter, and he was friends with my mom. He went to our church, and I remember us going over to his house to have dinner a couple times and, and um, just, he was always friendly and kind. And 
he had a heart attack um, cause he would shovel everybody in the neighborhood's walk or, and you know, mm-hmm. steamboat, it snowed almost nightly. So yeah. when you're a kid, the snow was always over your head. It was about four feet. And, um, this dude would just do it. Um, sometimes they'd help him out with money, but, um, he, he was just a kind person. And the, the song was supposed to be, and I had, talked it up to everybody in the band i wanted to write a song about how this guy was so cool and i had no idea that he had down syndrome until i was older you know until i was an adult and telling my mom you know how much how how cool that guy was and she said he he had down syndrome you know um that was the song and i had talked it up to the band but i couldn't make it work i couldn't I couldn't make it be something where I wasn't just forcing a topic onto people. Sure. So it ended up just in the last half hour. Well, before we recorded it, um, me just kind of throwing in a bunch of just hodgepodge of things that my dad had done or things that I had done and just making it about this guy that didn't get it. And uh-huh. it sucked. It killed the song. Mm. Yeah. Well, I mean, I still like it. <laughs> but <laughs> Thanks, I get John. it. <laughs> Thank I you. understand. I think we, re- I don't even remember what we said, but I know we like talked through the lyrics being kind of the thing you got stuck on, right, Andrew? Yeah. The, the lyrics, I think it was just, it sounded, it sounded like the, my, my, the lyrics and the songs in general that I have a hard time with. And we talked about this with a number of early MXPX songs where it's just like, Oh man, if this atheist could just get with Jesus, then they would understand. And it's just like, like I'm immediately turned off. That's like, that's, it's not a panacea. It's not a balm for every situation. And so anytime I was like, I hear a lyric like that, I'm like, like, it's also, I'm like, this doesn't really sound like Reese either. This doesn't, it's like, so it just, it just sort of rubbed me the wrong way. I'm like, musically, I, I was, I was fine with it, but it just, it was like, like I didn't know, I didn't, I just didn't, it just kind of hit me the wrong way, but. No, I killed it. Yeah. You're right. Um, this may be the only Five Iron album that we're working on now where the lyrics are actually done before I record them. Oh, fascinating. Damn. So, what do you uh, attribute that to? I, it, yeah, I, I think it's mostly Scott just has mm. kind of, said we're not doing this again we're not going to get into the studio and be figuring things out sure so that's also why it's taken eight years some sure. of the story but um yeah, yeah just a lot of of scott wanting you know i have like this studio little rig in my house and so i can demo stuff and he wants good demos before we go sure. and that's scott he's he he is a he kind of is a musical genius so we just back off and listen to him sure yeah i mean we will uh discuss his uh further discuss his musical genius once we um cover engine of a million plots um but yeah needless to say i'm the when he was back in the band i was uh yeah thrilled about that but um, so 
you know, you said kind of getting back to talking about these songs that you're writing, you know, you said on Facebook <laughs> recently that the lyrics are angry and political. And um, so of you said eight songs are maybe a little bit more in the political realm. And um, I like I pulled so, it up and you alluded to some of them being about the church um can you give us any other insight into like kind of you know not not looking for not looking for exclusive here just kind of like i'll give you exclusive (laughs) there are seven songs i just looked at like i coded them i colored them (laughs) blue so you could tell they were thinking Uh (laughs) and they have they have my leftist communist slant on them yes i can't wait Um, i'll read you one so this is not this is not done and this is where i'm at i want it to it's so so much finger pointing and it's so angry i don't like that so my challenge right now is to get is to get this song to where it doesn't lose lose its message doesn't lose its explosivity but it also um kind of says something that the whole band can agree on so it's called while while supplies last again okay and you have to forgive me because i don't pronounce things very well (laughs) i don't enunciate when i talk or sing but i'm sure you guys know that well at least you have the lyrics in front of you (laughs) i'm just gonna say that (laughs) all right yes while supplies last you're offended at the wrong thing brother and you're burning all your bridges with hate You fell asleep while Jesus stayed up weeping, while the Pharisees were plotting our fate. Yesterday was peaceful. Now your verses are deceitful. Now your congregation's raiding the store. It's mutiny on the beagle, more affluence for the eagle. When you're out of food, you'll just eat the poor. And the chorus just says, hiding behind, hiding behind your masks, while the supplies, while the supplies will last. Um, I kind of got a chill. <laughs> like, I really hope that makes it to the yeah. album. But, uh, yeah. Do you want to, so I got, there's yeah, two so more ver- verses and it has to get cut down to like sure. a verse and a bridge. But the second verse is, did you use your prayers to protect the snipers while you hoarded all the Lysol and diapers? Save some profits for your cadre of vipers because your God only favors survivors. If you vote to stop abortions, damn the pregnant girls and orphans, then subtract them from the souls that have passed, offer platitudes, not portions, then your guilt will be your fortune and hope that grace will cover your ass. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Just, it's, it's just, it's just washing. I love it. So look, look, I got, hang on. There's one more verse and it's going to be, Hit it, hit it, hit us, hit us. This is why I will be murdered tomorrow. (laughs) You said we all deserve this. We're not forcing kids to pray. Then you blamed it on abortion and you pinned it on the gays. While you hoarded all the world's wealth, you told us Jesus saves. You're ignoring half the gospel, wearing clothing made by slaves. You couldn't render unto Caesar, and now you fear the fever, fear the bottom dropping out of your stocks. You'd have voted for the devil. Let that narcissist embezzle. You put the hen house in the hands of the fox. Oh, God. 
Reese, this is prophetic shit right here. You're, spit, you're, you're <laughs> spitting fire. This is, this is, I mean, you're talking about the, the cadre of vipers. I mean, that's straight biblical. That's Jesus overturning the goddamn tables. And, you know, it's like, this is, this is what is up. This is, this is truth to power. You're speaking to the right. You're speaking and you're going, you're pointing the fingers at the exact right people. So, so I agree. I agree with you. And I agree with all of what I said, and that's why I wrote it. But I also, sure. I, I also need to make it not be me pointing fingers all the time. But yeah, but, but maybe uh, for this one, it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> but also, I mean, Lifeway, they can pick this up anyway. I mean, this is no. so, I mean, who, is Lifeway still around? Is it a thing? I don't think who so. Even, who even cares? You know, so there's something I want to ask you about. Um, okay. You know, you mentioned a lot of things, people being, uh, you know, the right having a lot of scapegoats, essentially, one of them being uh, the LGBTQ community. And so um, I wanted to get a sense of how you went from love the sin or hate the sin in Fahrenheit to if there's ever a question, the answer is to love in God hates flags. And then even further into kind of where you are in this song, like what was that evolution like where you, um, to getting to where you, where you are these days. So let me put in a caveat that I just said the gays and that irritates me. So <laughs> if it rubbed anybody else the wrong way, I, I apologize. Um, it just rhymed, and it's a placeholder. We talked about that exact phrasing on... Under Bridges. Oh, under Bridges, yeah. yeah, where I was like, I understand that the point is like you wouldn't actually say that, but it still did rub me a little bit the wrong way. But in this song, it felt more clear that it was like, you know, how someone might use that phrase. Anyway, yeah. continue. So... Um, Got to get those number that right number of syllables. That's yeah. True. So, yeah, well, there's two questions. So basically, if that stays in the in those lyrics, and we actually do that song, which I I think it, I who knows, yeah. but I I don't. I'm not going to say the gays. I respect all all of the LGBTQ community, and I have friends. Um, I have family members that are lesbians, and family members that are gay, and um, I have friends that are uh, that are trans, and um, I really don't want to hurt them. Um, so, the two points of your question: um, what, why I why I wrote those songs that way? Not no, not necessarily why you wrote them, but like, kind of the evolution of uh, yeah of me as a. Uh, like my theology on this? Yes, yes. Yeah, well, I need to also apologize for, I think, those songs. For Under Bridges, um, it, and, I, and this is funny because listening to you guys uh, go through this stuff, I remember, and it makes me cringe because I remember cringing as I was writing it, but it was another thing where we were just kind of slammed for time and I just let it slide. Yeah. Um, it was, you know, me trying to take Paul's writings in First Corinthians, where he's he's naming off all of these, uh, all of these sins, and I was like, well, gay is in there. Let's just 
you know, like right. that's also laid, you know, and I think at the time it was like very groundbreaking. It was very yeah, yeah, yeah. pushing the envelope to go into the Christian market just to say, this is, this is also Christ that right. somebody who is homosexual is also Christ and you need to treat them as such. Um, I wished God I had a time machine and I could go back and change my wording and not lump all of these things in with murdering and raping. Um, so at that point in my theology, um, I was, I gone from, I think, you know, kids when you're in, I don't know if it was like this for you all, but, um, did you hear me say you all? That means I've been in the South too long. <laughs> um, I like it. Th- if it was this way for you all, but you know, like that was like the, the worst thing that could be said of you when you were in junior high. Right. High right. For sure. You're gay. And so whether you're gay or not, like whether you're not, you're homosexual or not, it's still stung. And so me being heterosexual in that point of my life, I, I was just like disavow, you know, you're not, that is the worst. And so I think that every kid, I I don't know now if this happens because I think kids are, are, they're more socially aware. Um, But then it was just, you know, you, you, everybody was at least a little bit homophobic. Um, And and I think that, you know, if you were homosexual, you at least had to pretend to be homophobic. Right. Um, In the eighties and in the early Mm -hmm. nineties into the two thousands. So I think that I had progressed past that, that I was homophobic. Um, I had gotten to this point where as an adult, I was like, this, this isn't an issue. I'm not gay. I, I understand this. Um, I'm not going to get turned gay. And then you kind of make peace with it. You're just like, well, I'm not afraid of that anymore. It doesn't hold anything with you. And I think, I think some people don't ever make peace with that. And, and I think the real question is, I think that people that are angry, that angry about homosexuality maybe should ask themselves if they are homosexual. Um, You know, and it's just, it's just a, a reaction to that. But so for me, I was able to just be like, nope, I, I like ladies. Um, I'm not going to, I don't feel that threatened by it. And then it kind of opened up my theology to, to be like, to the point where it's, it's like, okay, well, the next step is this Gandhi quote that's in, in Fahrenheit, love the sinner, hate the sin, which at the time was, it was groundbreaking. It was the it was the thing that was going to get us pulled from the Christian bookshelves. Mm. But I really wanted to make a song about homophobia, and I really wanted to point it to myself. Mm. Um, I regret it though. I mean, I I know I I'm I'm happy that we made that stand, but I I wish that it went further. Oh. The 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 blessing for me in that was when that album came out that so many young um, gay males came up to me at shows and they were just like, Hey man, nobody else is saying this. I don't have, 
I don't have anybody else in the church that's saying anything about this. Not yeah. that nobody was telling them they're okay. And that had yeah. a huge impact on me. Um, so I just kind of fought it for years. The fact that homophobia and the way that the church treats the LGBTQ community is so counter to the, to the character of Christ that it ate at me. And the only thing that was holding me back was just this kind of inkling that um, the theology of churches that, that were gay affirming or that were LGBTQ affirming was really suspect. It was just really wishy-washy theology, you know, where you just kind of threw out most of the gospel to accept it. And I, um, I think I made a Facebook post, something about just how I felt like I was changing and in my beliefs and, and just apologizing to people that I'd hurt. And Nate um, from the insiders, the drummer from the insiders, he sent me just a PM with a bunch of articles and he's a pastor. So he's pastor in, in downtown. I think he's in Royal Oak near Detroit. Right. He sent me a bunch of articles where, these really, really decent theologians had picked apart this whole notion that homosexuality is a sin to the point where it, it, like within a couple hours, I just felt that my feelings on it had been just corrupt and, and evil. So mm-hmm. I think that, you know, there's a lot of things that the, 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 word homosexual wasn't used in the Bible until the thirties. Right. Um, that just the way that there's maybe six verses are taken out of context um, in scripture to just demonize um, people that aren't hetero or, or cis. Yeah. Um, I just think it's awful. And it's so apparently, you know, it's just so, just clear that it is counter to the character of Christ, yeah. how we have behaved. And so I don't know if you can see it. Oh yeah. Oh, cool. Oh, yeah. Freddie Mercury tattoo. Yeah. Look at, like a, like a saint. Yes. It's Saint, saint Freddie. Freddie. Yeah. That's awesome. Dude. That's so badass. Yeah. I love that. That's really cool. So yeah, I, I don't know. I'm, <laughs> We almost, so Battle Dancing Unicorns was almost called homophilia. Mm. And it was almost about that. But I felt like I was forcing it too much. So it became mm. Battle Dancing Unicorns. Interesting. What did you, uh, what did you think of the Bohemian Rhapsody movie? <laughs> I loved it so much. <laughs> so much. <laughs> I mean, so, <clears throat> so I've read a bunch of Freddie Mercury biographies. I love Freddie Mercury. Yeah. And um, it's not quite accurate, but as a piece of right. film, it's amazing. Sure. Yeah. yeah. I, I, mean, I remember reading, like, so sometimes I feel like, like biopics, you know, is the point to make it a historical record or is the point to, like, make a good piece of film? And yeah. 
yes, Freddie did not tell his bandmates that he was HIV positive right before they played the wor- the biggest show of their career. That didn't happen, right. but yeah. it makes for a great piece of film. And yeah. um, no, they, you know, they didn't like not practice forever right until like they right before their show, but still it's a makes for great tension and everything. But yeah, you know, I don't, like I don't get upset as much by that kind of stuff as, as other people who want to nitpick and tear it apart. But you know, I thought it was, I thought it was great. It's so good that the whole, the whole live aid show. Yeah. It, yeah. That part's they nailed it. They nailed it. The whole thing. Oh, I, um, I cried. I felt like this is maybe better than actually being there because it's, mm. it's almost like you're inside. You're on the stage. Right. Yeah. Can't wait for that. Uh, Reese Roper biopic, I'm assuming as it works. Um, so getting back to while supplies last, like, I mean, it's uh, it's not the five iron we deserve, but it's the five iron we need right now. Um, like with that kind of song, would you, so that is still to this day, you'll, you'll sort of pass around the lyrics and, and make sure everybody's okay and signs off on them. Is that still the process? Yeah. Okay. Um, that's got to be challenging with eight people. Right. That's a lot of hands that they have to go through. Yeah. I, it is. So the good thing is that some people are very opinionated and maybe five people don't really care. Sure. They, and so of the people that I, I respect everybody in the band, they all have great opinions and they've, you know, we, we've all kind of grown up together. So I respect anything they say, if it's negative or positive. Um, but usually the people that have good input, they'll say something and then it's it's worth chewing on. Sure. So I want to say, I mean, specifically Dennis, he and I usually are in a political conflict. And I love Dennis. And Usually I expect just because of his political leanings, I, I expect him to be just down, downright hostile to me. And he never is. He's always the peacemaker. Whereas I'm usually an asshole. So it's, it's, I mean, it's humbling. So if, if Dennis disagrees with me, he does it with grace and um, it's, it makes me want to be a better person. Hmm. Wow. Yeah, I mean, I would like. I feel like the songwriting on "Engine" is a nice marriage of some of the original Scott-driven style with the sound that you guys developed after that. Was that you know when you started working on "Engine"? Did you intentionally approach the process, the music and the lyrics, in a certain way? And is that different from how you're doing it this time around with this record? Yeah. Um, Man, so I was an I was an art minor in college, and probably the only real thing I brought away from that was to try and keep the same palette when you're painting a picture. Hmm. So I I feel that you know so um, all the hype was just this shockingly drastic album change for us, and. and it, <laughs> yes and we all are like that's definitely everybody in the band's least favorite album um but it it 
there were so many things at play. You know, we, yeah. we, we lost Scott. Everybody all of a sudden was just jockeying for who was, you know, who, who could write and throwing just shit at the wall. And, and we're like, yep. What what is this a salsa? This one's merengue. Do it, <laughs> just do it. We'll get this guy. We'll get this guy from Santana to play percussion. <laughs> oh man, I it just it. yeah. So it, I I feel like also we learned from it. You know, you just can't do that. You need to you need to stay in the same palette. And so we we definitely kept that going with uh, with uh, engine. Um, the new album, it's been so, so long. So, um, there's, it seemed like we were just throwing shit at the wall, like just tons, tons of different styles and, and, uh, just kind of madness. But I feel that like Scott and I have just been working and, and trying to bring it back to being the same palette. So it's going to, it's going to feel like a very different album. Um, but it's the same palette. There's going to be, there is a lot of ska on it and a lot yes. of punk, oh, man. probably more ska and punk than we've ever put on an album. Being, really? a, punk, being a punk ska band. Yeah. How is it even possible? Yeah. It's, man. I feel that, you know, f- we, from like 1998 until, five years ago we were just trying to distance ourselves from ska and punk right. and um you know on engine someone else's problem everybody loves it everybody in the <laughs> band loves it and yeah. you know the you know all, all our fans that um you know that hear it they, they love it and so we did that we've we've gone back to ska a lot yeah are you gonna work with uh jeremy griffith again yes um oh. That's the plan. He is um, the producer. It's so weird because we it, it, we were all in different spaces where we could go to New York to record before. And so he, um, Dennis works as uh, he, the company that he, he works for, he's, um, he's like the producer for this company that makes music for commercials. Right. And so they had this studio in Soho that uh, like the Rolling Stones has recorded in Amy Winehouse recorded her last album there, huh. Bob Dylan. Um, it was just, so it had, it had been neglected for a number of years. It, you know, it looked like it hadn't been updated since the eighties, but just being in there, you felt like it was the coolest thing that definitely five iron had ever done. Um, but Jeremy worked for him as his producer and engineer for his company. And Jeremy's amazing. He's really good. And, and so we just kind of lucked out in that he was working for Dennis and, and took it on as a project. But um, the studio has moved and Jeremy moved to Florida. And so we're trying to record stuff. Scott's got a very good studio in his basement. So he's trying to, record just actually just lay down the tracks for stuff for the denver people and then probably the horns and for vocals will fly down to florida to do it okay yeah we're planning summer we're planning on um talking with jeremy we've been in 
we've been in contact. Oh, cool. Um, so yeah. yeah, he's somebody that I would love to pick his brain to, you know, he's it's so one, wonderful. yeah, it's, you know, it's just one of the things that this podcast has done is really put us in touch with like truly brilliant and kind people from like all, you know, all across the, the, you know, the industry, you know, uh, you know, yeah. so um, it's pretty, it's pretty, it's pretty awesome. It's because um, you guys are awesome. Oh, well, geez. <laughs> Shucks, Reese. You know, something kind of getting back to your lyrics a little bit and again, referencing your uh, While Supplies Last. Um, so some of my favorite bands uh, historically have been like political punk bands. Those are like some of the ones that like really, um, you know, my... <laughs> My my the neurons were firing in my brain the first time I heard anti flag. My my brain was like lighting up. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is unbelievable. And and something that I especially this song that you just wrote, I mean, like, but you've never really written beige, safe, fence sitting songs. And um, does dandelions count? <laughs> <laughs> okay. I mean <laughs> Okay. That's its own. That's its own lane. That's a. That's, that's a different. Right. That's Let's a stay out of there. Okay, fair, fair. Um, I mean, yeah. I mean, Dandelions slaps. Still, you know, still, still into it. That's but um, so I'm, I'm curious if they're uh, being. I mean, like a lot of lot a lot of CCM and a lot of your CCM contemporaries. A lot of the sort of early 2000s, late night 90s, early 2000s, kind of christian worship music it was just like it's so formulaic and boring and so not interesting and you guys were out there being like you know fuck capitalism you know whatever and do you do you ever remember like if there was a song or a lyric or anything that kind of that got you in hot water or that that um you know that that you in you you like any of your like actual songs not songs that like maybe didn't get passed on to uh into the final album stage yes um yeah that's that's hard because i think so at first you know frank tate was the voice of reason and he was he was always cool about it you know we we loved frank because He'd bring it back to, is is this, is is what you're trying to say, is the way you're saying it worth alienating people? One, one thing that totally affected me was um, I read this interview with, like I read the transcript that uh, Billy Graham had done an interview with Diane Sawyer um, on 60 Minutes. Mm-hmm. And she she just, you know, him. He's Billy, so he was talking about the what his church was doing and the crusades and and things. And um, he, she kind of leaned in and she said, "You know, it kind of sounds like you're a Democrat. Do you do you mind talking about what your political leaning is?" And and he just looked at the camera and he he just said, "Well, I I am a Democrat, but I never talk about it. And the reason is because." 
that's that's not worth me losing telling people about the love of Christ. Mm-hmm. Something like that. I'm paraphrasing. Mm-hmm. But he was like, you know, there was this definite hierarchy. This is what's important. Mm-hmm. This is based off of my theology, you know, and, and I feel that way, you know, so I am pretty far left. You know, I, I'd say that um, I'm a socialist. I believe that I'm not a communist because I believe that people should have the right to own property, but I, I also think that mankind is inherently selfish and that unless acted on by an external force, they're not going to change. Um, so unfortunately that has to be the government, you know, in, in most cases. And, and I think that it, it works in most of the world, you know, it's, it's so stupid that, the Soviet Union called themselves socialist, um, and that that has that's all as far as you know people get when they hear about socialism, yeah. um, or they it, think it's communism, or or yeah. they think it's fascism. They people just don't know what words mean, or they forgot to read the part of Acts where the church was communist, or right. Jesus and his yeah. disciples were communists. Preach, <laughs> bring that Preach. So, um yeah, exactly. I'm. I'm not even saying that. I just. <laughs> I'm not even I, saying the gospels. That's too crazy. Know, too crazy. Let's <laughs> let's not even go that far. But um, I don't know. Crack, crack open Acts two, people. Acts two, second chapter of Acts, uh, or listen to the group, the second chapter second of Acts. Chapter. Also good. <laughs> also good. Um, possibly I could get the drummer on the pod because hey. he was our first lawyer. Oh, wow. What? Yeah. That's fascinating. Yeah. So when you go to Corona Presbyterian Church in the lovely uh, city of down, down of Denver, Colorado, which is, unfortunately was named Corona Presbyterian Church. <laughs> it's taking on new connotations um, these days. Yeah. So the street it's on is Corona. <laughs> yeah. So poor, poor Corona Presbyterian <laughs> yeah. Church. Um, Just remind you of a nice beer now. That's yeah. all shot. Yeah, now yeah. back in the day, it's like, hey, what are you, uh, are you celebrating the Church of Beer over here? And now it's like, hey. <laughs> yeah. That guy loved that church. <laughs> yeah, he, he did. did. <laughs> he did. Hey, you need some fresh limes over here? <laughs> Come on. Anyway, what were we talking about? What were we talking about? <laughs> talking about your lawyer from the from second chapter of Acts. The drummer from the second chapter of Acts <laughs> went to our church, and he was a lawyer, so... Mike Mike Sayers, who was the young adults pastor and kind of took us under the under his wing, he right. he was like, "Hey, hey, I know you guys are getting these record offers. You need a lawyer. I know a guy." Mm. And then it was Joe from that's awesome. Chapter of Acts. Yeah, that's great. Well, maybe we'll maybe that's our third season. We'll see. Third season, <laughs> second chapter of Acts. <laughs> Calling it Get now. him on the pod. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, what you were saying about like your approach and how to decide um you know what gets priority with um songwriting and how you want to reach people like one thing that strikes me is five iron members often described at least the original incarnation of the band as having a mission and that that was like something that differentiated you from others and that drove you and sustained you i mean do you see yourself as having a mission with the band today, like when the band reunited, did you feel there was a new mission? Do you not think in that framework anymore? No, I, I don't think we're as um, just, just as intentional about it, but I do feel that we still 
we still have meetings. We still yeah. talk about what we're doing and why we're doing it. Um, so there's no, there's no going back to that, which was Mike Sayers, our pastor. Right. Um, he, he said it was so great. And it, I think it kept us together for so long because, um, it's tough being in a band with eight people. Yeah. And speaking of communism, we, <laughs> we just straight up decided first thing, we're going to split everything equally and no one's going to fight about it. We're just yeah. doing this. Um, share those resources. Yeah. So, but it also meant we were trying to have, we, we tried for uh, at least our first seven years to have a $5 t-shirt that we mm. sold. And we made it a point that we would never, um, we would, if we had a ticket for a show and it was more than $10, we had to have a meeting to discuss why. Mm. So we wanted it all to be cheap. The t-shirts were cheap, you know, and, it was great. It was, it totally worked. But, um, so this time we're not as intentional in terms of having a business statement, but we do about once a year, just talk about why we're doing it and if it still matters. Yeah. Um, so to everybody, I think the overarching thing is that we are basically like family now. Um, for real, I, talk to the people in Fiverr far more than I do to most of my family. Hmm. Um, and they're like brothers and Leonora is like a sister to me. Um, there's nothing I feel like we would not do for each other. And I love that. That's a good reason to play shows and make albums and, and hang out. Um, but then I think the, the, the subplot is, we have, we have things to say, you know, we have, um, we feel that at least for six of us that the love of Christ has, has changed us for the better. And, um, maybe the voice of the church is kind of that part. The love of Christ is just being drowned out, mm. um, by fear or by anger or hate. And I either want to say that that is wrong, that the way that the church is behaving is wrong or say, or just provide an alternative. Um, so I think for Scott and Andy, they, they, I'm not saying anything that I think would make them cringe. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's just my burden because I love them. I want them to also agree. It's, mm -hmm. it's not hard. If you, if you, you know, if you're talking about, um, if you're talking about how I'm, I can't, I'm totally drawing a blank on our last album. What did I write? Um, between the pavement and stars. Yes. Okay. Um, it's not, it is about something I think we all agree with. It is about, it's actually about my ex fiance. Um, not Christy. I had another one in there. <laughs> right. I think we have heard this. Yes. Um, but just the fact that I, I was in wonderment that she was still herself, that she is like this vibrant, loving person, but she is not a believer anymore. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to write a song just 
encouraging that. I wanted to be like, you're so nice and so good. I love that about you, hmm. but also about Scott and Andy. Yeah. Because I love that about them. I love Andy. He's so, he's such a giving and um, compassionate, just, he's such a great person. Yeah. yeah. He was the first of the band that we had on still in the first season. And I think not a small reason why we decided to dive into Fiverr and like, he's, yeah. he's a great dude. He's a great guy. And you're named after him. Andrew John Pacquiao. Exactly. Yes. No, that is, that was my, uh, my given name. My parents are big fans of him. <laughs> um, uh, go, go ahead, John. No, I was just going to say, you know, you mentioned uh, you've disparaged uh, upbeats. You have disparaged so far from home. Uh, it seems safe to say that everybody's pretty into engine and uh, boogaloo in the band, I think. Um, but I mean, when you look over the whole discography, including non-Five Iron projects, like what are some of your favorites and which ones do you kind of struggle with the most when you look back? Um, man, there's so, so much... So much I hate. <laughs> we we know one of the albums that you don't like. For let's sure. let's let's focus on the not hatred. Let's focus on the positive. Yeah. What are you, what are your favorites? I think my favorite is Electric Boogaloo. Yeah. Um, which I think is funny because when you guys talk about it, you say Boogaloo, <laughs> and you say Boogaloo, and we say Boogaloo, and I think it was just how Keith and I pronounced it. So. Yeah. I wonder if it's a, a regional thing or something. Maybe that's is that our, like the difference between gigawatts and gigawatts. Is there yeah, like probably, a, is there yeah. an actual is there an actual pronunciation that's uh, that's right? It's just whichever whichever know. survives in popular. <laughs> <laughs> I think as Midwesterners we'd say like boogaloo. Like, you know, so. Hey boogaloo over there. <laughs> anyway, continue. <laughs> oh man, I think it's my favorite of yeah. of the fiber and stuff. Um, Lyrically, I think the Roper album oh, man. is my favorite. We I really want to talk Roper. Let's talk Roper for a minute. Okay. We, now, yeah, we, yeah. No, no. I You go. I want to hear it, John. <laughs> I was just going to say, I mean, we love that album. Yeah. We are very sad there was never a Roper tour, or at least that we didn't get to see Roper on tour. And like, I mean, what? Yeah, just talk. Like, I I understand that that was sort of a fraught time, but like, can you talk a little bit about that? Like, is there any future of us hearing those songs in any capacity? Will Roper ever be revisited in any way? So, if if we had waited a year to start that band, I, it would still be going. I think. Oh my gosh! Yeah. I think what killed it was just straight after five iron Sonny and i our backup plan was gorilla rodeo right not just that he and i were the only ones that wanted to push still we were the only ones that still wanted to keep it going hmm. um here's the story okay so this is gonna get long okay just like ready. just like your podcast <laughs> exactly it's a perfect fit <laughs> um so we we went into electric boogaloo. we made, um, we made all the hype and we were just like, we can't do that again. We, we are need to be serious and we need to make the best album we've ever made. And we've never gone in the studio being like, let's just make a piece of shit and see <laughs> right. if people will buy it. Except for possibly Jesus of Nazareth. 
<laughs> well, it worked. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. Um, I still, I still think. What, what, what's the name of the? What's the name of the song? Uh, Wait, which one are you thinking of? Uh, what's it called? Uh, the shit. like metal one, the old school metal one. What is it? Um, yeah, uh, it's probably Stinky Hippie. Mind for Treason. <laughs> mind for oh, Treason. How could Fucking Mind for Treason. We. <laughs> that's the song rules. <laughs> or that tastes horrible. Also great. Also good. Uh, okay, let's talk about Mind for Treason. <laughs> <laughs> okay, sounds good. <laughs> okay, but um, yeah, we never we never did that. We always just felt like let's do our best, but with um with all the hype we had just been touring and touring nonstop. scott left and we were kind of jockeying to see how we were going to write and who wrote what you know who could fill in for scott because scott's such a prolific writer he's um he's so good yeah (laughs) and so it just to lose that you know, just the other thing that Scott brought was just this drive. Scott, he he can't just be laid back about anything. So anything, everything had to be pushed to be the best. And um, we lost that. And so we had an album where we were just trying to figure that out. Plus, Five Minute Walk, you guys have talked about this, how we yeah. made an album every year. And then that for the rest the of the year, basically. That sounds, that sounds absolutely... I can't believe you guys did it as long as you did. That yeah, sounds unbearable. It was insane. And I mean, maybe when you were maybe when you were like 25, that's like, that's different. But like, when you're in your 30s, I mean, that it's just like... I'm 36 now. That, that I can... I can't even imagine doing that for like a month, let alone like nine months out of the year. Yeah. That sounds terrible. It... It... it and, and so now I think it would be more doable because you can, you, you know, like you can take Pro Tools on your laptop and record. Right. But then there was like, you could have a Tascam four track that sounded like garbage. There's no way we could have demoed songs on that. So the way that we usually wrote was all being in a room and maybe Scott had talked to Andy about how he wanted the drums to go. and then they just be working it out and I would just be kind of dinking around singing over it. So you guys talked about um, the uh, fistful of sand, that version, exactly that. I had just been like dinking around in practice, trying to figure out a melody and words. And they were like, let's play this song. It's so good. Oh no! So we played it. With and no lyrics. With no lyrics. And that's what you hear. <laughs> um, yeah, man. So that's how, that, that was how we did it. And then we got to, you know, all the hype. And we were still writing like that. But I, I remember at least half of that album was written. We got to Saki's maybe a, a, a week before the album was actually supposed to we were supposed to be recording and we were working it out and like the song all the hype that money can buy just it was another thing where you're like you've got two more hours finish this song oh my god i wish it got cut from the album but we're just like (laughs) what what goes good here 
Beastie Boys rap. Yeah. You know, just <laughs> it's so garbage. <laughs> I hate it. Oh, so, but so then we get to um, Electric Electric Boogaloo, and we were just angry and and like we have to make the best album we've ever made um somehow some a friend of ours pirated um the jimmy world bleed american somehow it got released to like industry people like they were sending it out shopping it to labels and people started sending it around and that's what keith and i listened to on the way out and we were just like shit (laughs) <laughs> this like i yeah. we need to make this be our album we need this yeah. and so we we had a little bit more time for that album i think we spent about a month um whereas before it would be uh, two weeks or upbeats we did in eight days oh wow yeah just ridiculous um in hindsight there's so many better ways to do it <laughs> sure you know, I don't think the way we're doing it now is is good either because we've taken almost eight years to write another album. We could have broken up and then gotten back together again. <laughs> <laughs> it is weird when you think about like you've technically now been together longer in the second iteration than you were in the first, but uh, with less, one album, <laughs> less shows. Yeah, <laughs> right. um, yeah, but we so that was our push: make the best album, and Frank was at this point frank um frank's best so the history of frank was he as a you need to get him on the pod by the way all right um so frank can you put in a good word for us i have no way i have no way of contacting frank tate (laughs) sure i will email him and see if he'll call you um but he so he as a high school kid he's an orphan um but because he's an orphan he just hustled he was like very business savvy he's a very smart dude very business savvy as a high school kid he grew up in in like east san francisco bay and he realized that all the dudes this is going to come across as like borderline racism but just uh hear me out (laughs) always always a great preface (laughs) So Frank's the racist here in this. <laughs> I'm just kidding. But like, um, so he he realized that all the people doing yard work were Hispanic. And he could he was like, you know, like I'm a good looking white guy. If I get a couple good looking white boys from my high school and we wear khakis and polo shirts and we go do the yard work, we can charge twice as much. <laughs> And that's what he did. Yikes. And by the time he was a senior, he was a millionaire. Wow. Right? Wow. What? Yeah. So the people of Walnut Creek, California are the true racists here. (laughs) That's quite an origin story. Nobody looks good in this story. (laughs) No. So he he did that. Um, He went to Oral Roberts. I don't know where in there he became a Christian or if he was a Christian before that, but um, he became, you know, after he graduated, he, he liked, um, he, I think when he was at Oral Roberts, his whole, his whole angle to pay for school was to put on shows. So he, he became a promoter, got really good at it because he's super business savvy. 
and he just he's very good at not spending his own money he if he if he does something he'll find the way for that thing to pay for itself and then he makes money off of that and that's just his business plan he does very well at it and so with five minute walk i don't think he spent his own money i think Mm. it was I think maybe at the beginning he did, but then it was mostly just bands generating the money for their album by touring or by album sales, putting it back in. And um, it just this machine just had to keep cranking. Yeah. And we were fully on board because of all the, all the record labels that we had talked to. Frank was the only one that, that cared about, the kids and like where they, where they were. Mm -hmm. So his whole thing with the five minute walk, you know, love God, love others, take time to listen, or just telling people, just telling kids, you know, whatever's wrong with you, here's a simple solution. Just go outside, go be by yourself, take five minutes and talk to God. Mm -hmm. I loved it. You know, I think we all did. So Frank (laughs) being very business savvy by the time we made Electric Boogaloo. He, this is another funny thing about Frank. His favorite band was Hootie and the Blowfish. And the reason was not because he liked the music, because he- He's a big rucker head? No. Music to him was just a, it was just a thing. Like it was another aspect of business. He liked it because it was cool, but I don't think that he really understood it. You know, whereas you get most people that are record company executives- they came up through the ranks or they at least loved music or they managed bands and they came up. He did manage the prayer chain, but it was again, like just cause he's business savvy, not so much because he understood the, the writing of songs or music or recording of albums. Um, so when all the hype came out, he, he told me the story where he, he went out at one of our shows into the parking lot while uh, we were playing or some of the other bands were playing just to talk to the kids. Cause he would do this just to kind of get a gauge of what was happening. Mm-hmm. And he said, Hey, show me what you're listening to. Show me what CDs you're listening to. I need to know what's cool and uh-huh. where the industry's going. And he went to like 10 kids and they all opened up those, like those old CD folders. Oh, uh-huh. sure. For sure. And he was like, Every every kid I talked to, it was just burned CDs. <laughs> uh, yeah, sure. and so it was like the advent of Napster. Yeah, Plus, right. I think people were just burning CDs. Like finally, computers could do it, and everybody right. had that technology. Right. And he was like, "That's the end of my job." <laughs> he knew it. He was yeah. just like, "This is we're done." You know, I think the majors, the major labels can survive, but that's it. And so. He told us, he was like, hey, guys, I'm thinking about dissolving five-minute walk. I want to get rid of it. And Hmm. so what I want you guys to do is make the best album you've ever had. And we're going to try and shop you to major labels. So this dude came around when we were making Electric Boogaloo. And he was a rep. This guy's like a headhunter, like uh, a rep for different it labels but he represented squire geffen um dreamworks columbia two other labels and he was 
on fire. Like just like, I love this album. This is great. You may have to re-record it because there's some things we can do production wise, but this is great. I want to sign you guys. We're going to get you on one of these labels and we're just like terrific. You know, friends of ours, MXPX and, and Les and Jake, they'd all gone to majors and we were just kind of gunning for that because we wanted to make a living at it, you know, and we were getting paid $1,156 a month. And divided eight ways. Yes. So when we sat down to meet with this dude, his thing was just basically writing up a contract, what we would do. And all of a sudden it was like, so you're going to have to tour for two years. I need you to agree to, to tour for two years. You're going to make this album. Then you're going to tour two years off of it. You know, of course you get to go home for holidays and stuff, but we're going to just ride this hard. And here we had been for just about five years doing nothing but that. And in our heads, I think we're thinking once you make it, you get one or two big tours and you get to go home more. Yeah. And it did not sit with everybody very well. And so we, we we were like we just made the best album we've ever made nobody wants to do this anymore <laughs> like not like that yeah, right. except for Sonny and I who were like damn it we could have been something we could have done this and so that's where we came up long story short sorry for talking all this oh, this is great that's where we came up with Gorilla Rodeo okay. so we, we talked to our friends in other bands and we said let's Let's like do this as good as we possibly can. So we did Gorilla Rodeo. We did a three song demo to sell at the last five iron tour. Right. And then we broke up and that was my fault um, <laughs> in hindsight. So one of the things that we had talked about was we didn't want to go on tooth and nail. I had been on tooth and nail with Brave St. Saturn and I didn't feel like it was a good, a good thing. Yeah. Um, the guys in Ace Troubleshooter had um, had been back and forth. I don't know if Ace Troubleshooter was on Tooth and Nail or not. I think they were. I think they were. That sounds right. So we had all just had kind of a lukewarm uh, experience on Tooth and Nail, where we felt that the bands seems that did... to be the case for a lot of people. <laughs> I don't want to talk crap about them because I yeah, think yeah. Um, I love I love the people that work there, and I think they've. you know we wouldn't be talking right now if there was no tooth and nail they made they made this happen for sure um but the i think you had to be selling a lot of albums to get attention there and we we were like this new band is not going to do that you know we can't we can't do that we need to hold out and see if we can generate some some interest or go to a major um which is what Sonny and I wanted. And so one of the guys in Gorilla Rodeo was kind of working around behind the scenes. I don't want to talk crap about this dude, but all of a sudden we were getting calls from guys that we knew at Tooth and Nail and they're like, congrats. Mm. (laughs) Like, what are you talking about? Like you're signing to Tooth and Nail. So... I panicked and I just was like, I'm not doing this guys. I already did this. I'm, I'm, I need to be done. And so I just, I was like, 
there was talk um, of getting Matt Thiessen to sing hmm. and be in Gorilla Rodeo, and it lasted about a month. I wish they had done it, but that would have also killed Reliant K, so I'm no, glad they did you not. you know, look, I, I, we did our little crossover episode with, you know, Sadie Hawkins pod, and, you know, I mean, talk about writing, you know, beige, safe, fence-sitting songs. Like, like I, 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 Matt Tyson. Reliant K under the bus right now? Yes, a little, a little bit. <laughs> like, I, I think what you did with, uh, with Roper was just perfect and Gorilla Rodeo like what I think I'm I'm just glad it worked out the way it did because I don't I don't need a I like your lyric writing way better than I like anything that Matt Teeson does. Thank you. I think it's I think I, it would just become like, you know, Owl City Reliant K 2.0 and like we don't need any more of that. I I think that Matt is he is such a good songwriter and his lyrics are so clever. I I'm always jealous. I know it's clever to a point where it's like you're alienating uh, all our new Reliant K <laughs> listeners after our crossover. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I just think it's like it's like it's it's like I don't know if this guy should be writing songs or doing stand up. Like that's he's just like he's just. <laughs> He's like, his songs are too witty that I get like, I'm like, okay, I get all of your like puns and double entendre. It's just like, it's just so packed with like references and, and then jokes. I'm just like, wow, this is, you should be like writing for SNL or something, but you know, it's, uh, I don't know. I mean, your collaboration did lead to one of the all-time great uh, comedy sketches, which was a Tea Party. <laughs> the Tea Party. Uh, it's, br- it's truly brilliant. Tru- truly a uh, <laughs> thank you. Finest pieces of what? Fine piece of Western cinema. <laughs> um, I don't know what we're doing right now. <laughs> well, I want to. I, I mean, I want to get back to Roper. Just I want to get, let's get back to Roper. Sorry, okay. sorry. No, I just want to say, like, okay, so that I mean, the idea of any of those songs having new life or songs continued in that style sort of died then. And that's not really something that's like up for a new iteration of Roper. Yeah. Or even like yeah. if five iron doing a mini Roper set, I'd take that. <laughs> so the, this is what happened is that I pulled the plug on gorilla rodeo, at least for me, I hope that they would have done it in hindsight. I wish we just did it. I wish I had just, you know, I, I wish that I didn't panic and I said to everybody like, hey, let's just take six months off or whatever. Sure. Let's not sign a tooth and nail. Um, but I totally panicked. And it yeah. was, I was just exhausted from Fiverr. You know, I, yeah. the, the tour, the last tour, um, this is part of it. You know, the, um, when you guys were talking about, there's been a couple of times, I don't, remember who was talking about the second to last show in Boulder. I had been sick for two months. Right. Um, by the time that, by the time that we were playing those shows, the, the bus that we were on was another Frank Tate special. He bought it and then rented it to us. So he probably made uh-huh. his way back on that bus, <laughs> but it was Aaron Carter's bus. <laughs> What? Oh man. <laughs> yeah. 
One of Andrew's faves. So the, <laughs> it, it, like it was, it, it, we were, you know, our last tour, we shouldn't have gotten a bus, but we were like, it's our last tour. Everybody wanted to be on a tour bus. So we did it. But this thing had about when they cleaned out the ducks afterwards. Cause I kept telling Frank, I was like, Frank, think the bus is making me sick oh man he'd be like well we changed the filters should be fine there's about two inches of mold growing Uh, all all through the ductwork in it so i was sick at least two-thirds of that tour oh my gosh so that and just being on we were on tour plus we put out two albums plus i think i did a brave saint setter in that album <laughs> that album was, that year that's too much <laughs> i was so done yeah yeah <laughs> so gorilla rodeo i, I was just like I, I gotta be done and i kind of went crazy i would just ride my bike everywhere and i was taking taekwondo and i would go to taekwondo i'd ride my bike like four miles go to taekwondo like learn how to spin a stick around and <laughs> and do all that stuff and then um, this uh, this friend of ours who was a music pastor at a church, this old music, this old church in Denver, and he was like, he could see that I was kind of messed up. Like I looked like I was tweaking. And he was like, dude, what's going on? And I would just be like, nothing. I feel great. Well, what are you, what are you doing for, for work? <laughs> I was living off my check from the last five iron tour just like totally budgeting and eating ramen and stuff but i didn't know what to do um i think i was going to school i had one more i had to redo my general genetics class because i got a c minus um which showed up in the in the roper lyrics you know i'm predicting a c minus <laughs> right yeah. um but i i um i was just doing this and he was like well what are you doing musically? And I was like, nothing. <laughs> so he goes, do you need a space to do it? Cause Keith and I lived in an apartment with, um, with another dude and, and he, he just gave me a spot in their basement. So I just would set up my laptop and my speakers and just demo stuff. And I couldn't figure out if I was writing for the next brave St. Saturn album or something else. Mm. And just kind of, not knowing what to do and frank called and he said hey i know that we were dissolving five minute walk but the thing that i really regret the most is that i never broke a band into the general market would you be interested in putting together a band and just making a good rock slash punk rock album and I was lost. So I was just like, absolutely, let's do it. Mm. And we got about a week into talking about it. And he said, you know what would save money <laughs> is if we name it after you. That seems very <laughs> unlike you. <laughs> it's so unlike me. And it that was probably the first nail in the coffin for that band. Mm. Because had we, I wanted to name it Ninja Force 5000. <laughs> <laughs> That yes. sounds right. <laughs> Into it. <laughs> and he pushed so hard for it. And I was just so lost and so just like, yeah. okay, if this will make you work really hard on this and go for it, then yes, let's call it Roper. Yeah. So we did. And I feel so the things I regret about that album, I 
think I don't like how I sang on it. I pushed too hard. Hmm. Um, but musically, I love it. And I think lyrically, it's some of the deepest and most clever stuff I've ever written. Yeah, I agree with that. I would I would like to hear Amplify Live one day is all I'm saying. I want to hear Vendetta. I'll hear Vendetta about, any day. Talk, I mean, you talk about like how you sang those just like, <laughs> just like those really high screams. They're just oh my gosh. amazing. <laughs> we love, we love Yelly Reese on this. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. We are into it. God bless you guys. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so I want to get back to uh, Boogaloo, if you will. For, yes. for a Bo- Boogaloo. 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 Here's what rubs me wrong about Boogaloo. You. Boogaloo is Keith and I used to clean carpets, and the lady we worked for was, I think she's dead now, so I can talk about this. <laughs> Super racist. Oh, boy. Uh-huh. And cleaning carpets did not make her any less racist. Um, so she would call black people boogs. No, (laughs) what? And I never heard this term, but like, so anytime I hear boogaloo, I'm like, ah, it's well, now I'm going to think twice. Cringing. I don't know. Is that a real, like, is that a real racial slang? I'm sure everything is a racial slang, but. Well, we talked about on the episode how that's like, apparently like an alt-right thing is like when the boogaloo comes like that's what okay. so maybe there is some racial st- anyway it's a good album title don't worry about it <laughs> <laughs> okay <laughs> but uh, yeah but anyway so i i had a question about so you were talking about like it was around this time when um everybody's like fa- everything's falling apart and you're like i don't know if we want to do this anymore after we wrote this and recorded this amazing record um is that kind of why ev- you look despondent in literally every picture in, in this record where you just, everybody else is just like, it's like, it's the most emo artwork that you guys have ever done. And you're on the cover. Like oh. uh, this again. No. Okay. So Keith and I, we were best friends since like eighth grade, seventh grade. We had just shared like the same brain and same sense of humor. And so driving out to make the album he and i were alone talking about it and we were like what would be funny is call it five arm frenzy to electric boogaloo and make the the writing look really happy but the Uh pictures all be the most (laughs) depressing yeah yeah, yeah. and when you open it up i gotta think of what this dog (laughs) was named (laughs) there's this thing this dog on the internet and it was this lady would dress it up like in bee costumes and it looked like just this thing of fluff. It was some sort of Pomeranian, but it had been somehow mutated into just, it was like mixed with a hamster <laughs> and it was, it was this thing just fluff. And there was like a tongue that always stuck out and eyes and it was dressed up as a bee with flowers in the back. And we were like that, we got to get that picture. <laughs> <laughs> on the album <laughs> so people are like this is so sad they're breaking up and then they looked and it was the dog picture i'll i'll have to find it and i'll email to you guys awesome. um, but we couldn't get it licensed uh, so aaron james who uh was the art director at five minute walk had drawn that picture as just a placeholder just he was like yellow and i drew a picture of a bear on it on like mac Payne or something (laughs) 
It ended up saying, I'm sure he did it like in Photoshop because I doubt he ever touched Mac Paint. But um, so that ended up being it. So the idea wasn't that we were depressed. It was that it would be really funny <laughs> to make the album this. But then the actual disc is the most insanely goofy, happy thing that you've ever seen. Got it. Right. Um, that's, that is great. Instead, the disc sort of looks like some sort of like modern art piece. Yeah. Um, what you got there, Reese? I see a bottle. I see a, I see a, I see a green. Just uh, some more gin. Yeah. I'm going to make another gin and tonic. Nice. Nice. <clears throat> you guys, you got to fill it up to Spider-Man. <laughs> that's, that's what all the bartenders recommend. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's a, I think that's a, that, that's a, is that the metric system? I think <laughs> yeah. yep. uh, this is, yeah. this is two Spider-Mans, two Spider-Mans of Seagram's. Upkeeper, fill it up to Spider-Man, please. Splash, splash of this Italian volcano lime juice. That's Ooh. it is a hundred percent organic. All right, all right. I'm, I'm going to tell you. I'm going to tell you one one of the good things about living in the middle of nowhere in Virginia. Uh-huh. People espouse anything they think is um, fancy. <laughs> nice. It goes it goes on to clearance real fast. Uh-huh. And and then you can be like, oh, I got pate for a dollar. <laughs> Dope. Sick. Yeah. I uh I lived in DC for a few years and we went to some wineries in West Virginia. There's some nice uh okay. wine country stuff happening over there, right? Um it's probably like there is so there's the Appalachians and then there's the Blue Ridge Mountains. Yeah, yeah. So we're in between those. Okay. If you it, right before the Blue Ridge Mountains, there's a little valley and there's about 18 wineries. Yeah, that's where I've been. Distilleries. Right, right, right. So cool. Yeah. So great. there's another cool thing about where I live. Yeah. <laughs> there's not uh, not a lot. Don't. <laughs> <laughs> um. So I had one more Oogaloo question. Okay. Now I don't know if I'm saying it right or wrong. <laughs> now I'm like... Just call it EB. Yeah, I'll, yeah, I'll just call it FIF2 EB. Um, I'm so, so sorry. <laughs> like, am I being racist right now? Am I an accidental racist? Um, that's a... That's the name of my autobiography, Andrew. Accidental, <laughs> accidental racist. racist. You looking very. <laughs> just, yeah. yeah, it's just it's just me looking despondent, sort of like you know this on <laughs> yeah. the cover of the record. It's a little uh, um, greasy. Yeah. So, are you? I, we talked about this on the pod, and I'm curious if you were familiar with this as it was happening. Um, the comedy sketch duo Britannic. And how they would, for a while, ended a lot of their videos with Far, Far Away. Yeah. Did that come to your attention at any point or while? Yeah. Not, so I don't think they asked for permission. It was just all of a sudden people were sending us links. They're like, yeah. do you know about this? And it's super funny. They're awesome. They are outstanding. They put out like two videos a year and they're always super, mm-hmm. super funny. But I was like, back in the day, I was like, oh, are they like, what's their deal? That they're like big 500 fans or are they just like the song? What's, but they didn't, they never, they never communicated with you. No. 
which is how it should be. I don't want to. I don't want to ruin somebody's art by talking to them. <laughs> That's uh, what we're doing right now. Yeah, <laughs> I just ruined your podcast. <laughs> um. Have you uh, have you had a uh, never meet your hero situation where it went badly? I've name names. Yeah, <laughs> just kidding. Yeah, no. So I met Mike Knott. Do you know Mike Knott? No. Oh, dude, this should be your next podcast is Michael Knott. You got to listen to LSU. K-N-O-T or N-O-T? K-N-O-T-T. Yeah, I know the name. I can't really remember. Oh, man. Okay. Check him out. Listen to some jams. So he had his own label. He had Blonde Vinyl, which was... Oh, right. It was the alternate alternative Christian thing before Tooth and Nail. So he had LSU, Lifesavers Underground, Lifesavers. I th- I don't know what the deal was with the different incarnations of this name. But <laughs> yeah. Each each group was a little bit different. And then he put out two solo albums. One of them was not on Tooth and Nail, and the second one was. First one is called Rocket in a Bomb. Okay. And by God, it is like it is one of the greatest albums you'll ever hear cool um just acoustic stuff and thrown in like frank lens playing on drums or whoever was doing it, i think it's probably frank cool um but then he started a group with a lot of the guys some of the i'm trying to think who who all it was like guys from the violet burning called the yeah. aunt betty's right okay they were originally called Aunt Betty's Ford, and then I think they got sued by Ford and the, and the Betty Ford Clinic. Okay. <laughs> or they got a cease and desist. That's the classic um, double whammy. Classic. And um, but this dude is so genius. And I made the mistake of meeting him. Oh, and no. I don't know. It's so weird. I I feel like I I am Mike friends with him now that that whole uh idol worship thing of mine went away and it's it we're good now um but i i um mike park you know yeah. the singer sure. asian man Spike and pickle so my daughter is two years old and he is touring with the touring version of yo gabba gabba oh, cool. you know how on yo gabba gabba they would be like in our musical guest yeah, he yeah. was that for the live thing. Huh. He would get up and play a ska song, but he was the only one going on tour. And so he'd call friends he had in those towns and just say, come up and pretend like you play saxophone or whatever. Uh-huh. So my two-year-old daughter gets to see her dad on stage. And I this was before I think Fiverr had really started playing shows again. And so she got to see me be on stage with Yo Gabba Gabba, which is probably the craziest thing that a two-year-old could see. <laughs> but Biz Marquis was there. Oh man! <laughs> and I loved, I loved Boogie Down Productions. I loved uh-huh. Karis One and Biz Marquis. Yeah. And I had learned. Mike was like, "Do you want to go meet Biz Marquis? He probably thinks I was the biggest dick <laughs> because." <laughs> I looked and I was just like, I just froze. I was like, I, I can't, I cannot go talk to that guy. 
He seems pretty affable. I don't know. I know. I think he is. I think he's probably super cool. Yeah. Um, well. But I didn't want to, I didn't want it. I, I just froze. I was like, I, I can't meet him. So Mike probably thinks I, I don't like black people now. <laughs> Man, if he after he listens to this episode, the whole Boog thing, I mean, we got a lot. Of- yeah, we got a lot of, a lot of- <laughs> Very problematic. Reese is canceled. <laughs> um, I I have one more question. I know Andrew has something fun lined up, but I want to. So we got a deep dive on Roper, which I appreciate. Um, but you know, we've heard uh, your strong feelings about so far from home. Um, <laughs> how do you kind of look back on Brave Saint Saturn as a whole? Do you ever think about revisiting them? Like, what are your thoughts about that whole project? I do think about it. Um, I do. So, um, so our, our second album is probably, probably one of the things I'm the most proud of mm-hmm. as an artist. Um, it, it was super painful. Mm, yeah. Um, but I feel that, so, so far from home, what I don't like about it is I, I needed a, a outlet for emotion in five iron, you know, there's no place for sorrow. And right. so I just started dinking around and, and writing stuff, you know, like I, had, I had learned to program, uh, early on. I had this old Korg sequencer, um, okay that you had to, you had to draw everything out on graph paper. Wow. So you knew like the kick goes on four uh-huh, and you do right. four, four. And then this is what your fill is going to look like. And, um, and then you would program and you had like 16 tracks for drums and then you, you could do that. Um, yeah. So I learned that early on and, and that's how I would kind of mess around. And, and I just felt, this is cool. I, I like this outlet and we had been astronaut, um, right. Played a couple, you guys talked about this, but we, we played a couple shows and people liked it. The songs, um, Dennis definitely helped because Dennis is musical. He's, he's really good. You know, he knows theory. He's got Mm -hmm. perfect pitch. Yeah. You know, so it was, it was nice having him in because all these things where I as a bad guitar player and not very good at programming then was kind of putting stuff together. And um, I had talked to Frank about maybe doing an album. And I feel like when Christy broke up with me, it just kind of pushed me into it. Like all of a sudden Frank was like, I, I don't know if he, he did it to just uh, kind of help me work through it or, or what, but I was like, um, when I made So Far From Home, Fiverr and we toured with Switchfoot and the Smiley Kids while this whole breakup was going on. Here's the story. <laughs> so Chrissy and I had been dating for about two or three years and then we got engaged and she was going to Mexico as a foreign exchange student. Right. So her, her major was, was Spanish and minor like in sociology or something. And, and so she went and 
we would talk every once in a while, but be on tour. And one day she just goes, Hey, I don't think I want to get married. And the calls were always bad. You know, it was like the early days of cell phones. And so it'd mostly be on pay phones and the Mexican telephone system was awful. So it'd just be cutting out or you'd talk for like 30 seconds and then it would start, somebody else would start talking in Spanish. It was like a party line. (laughs) um, So she was like, I don't think we should get married. And, or I don't think I want to get married. And I just remember going, do you mean now or, or ever? And <sighs> she just kind of couldn't, I think she meant never, but couldn't, couldn't say it. And so we went a, like the rest of that tour, just me trying to figure out what the fuck was going on yeah. and just panicking like in desperate love with her and unable to get answers. And still to this day, she never told me why, you know, I, I, everything is just me guessing, but I mean, um, who knows, you know, like everything is just like, well, we were young. You're right. Right. You know, whatever. She was homeschooled. This was like her first time (laughs) out of, out of the house. You know, it was sure. It was probably super mind opening. And also who wants to be married to me? I'm kind of a dick. (laughs) All of these things, I forgive her completely, but me working through this, I had, I had rented an apartment that was about six, six blocks from her parents' house. Um, before we went on the tour, because I was like, she was in Mexico and I was like, well, I'll get this place ready for us and I'll try and get furniture. And then when you come back, then you don't have to worry about this. You know, we'll at least have this and I'll just get a, you know, I'll just get a year lease and we can leave if, if you hate it, you know, we can, we only have to do a year. She was fine with it. And, and then this happened. And so here I am with all this furniture I bought for us and alone you know, I'd lived uh, with the guys in Five Iron for like five years. Right. And then I was just by myself in this apartment every day. Um, I, don't, I don't know what that's like. I'm so sorry, bro. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm, 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 I'm feeling it, man. I know I can. I'm totally empathizing with you. So I totally get it, bro. You're in your brave Saint Saturn. Yes. <laughs> it's, time, it's time to start working on your album. Oh man. But yeah, I, I, so f- I think f- part of it was Frank just taking pity on me. He was like, let's, let's do this album. And all I was doing to take my mind off of it was write songs about it, which right. was not taking my mind off it. It was cathartic at least. Sure. But it, it was just, I, I was not a very good songwriter and didn't have a good, idea for it the concept for it um so it came out and i was i was like this is people liked it and i was like this is a great thing let's do it but better so when we did the live things hope for i you know i i understood the full spectrum of it i wanted to make a trilogy i wanted it to be just this kind of uh my my version of this one ELO album time. Right. And like that 
by far is the biggest, biggest influence for Brave St. Saturn, just that it's like Jeff Lynn kind of lost half the members of his band, and, and he was like, that's cool. We'll just replace them with synthesizers. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. and so so that, and I don't know. I, I am super proud of that. The first one was just rushed. I think it could have been better. I wish I had more direction. Wish I had a time machine. I think sometimes about re-recording those songs, but then if if I love songs and somebody did that to them, that uh, the songs that I loved, I would hate it. Right. Yeah. So I don't think I just, it. I don't think it ever. I mean, I don't know. Maybe just doing it for yourself, just to like have some finality or closure to for an album that you feel like whatever it could have been but yeah i mean yeah we've talked about some of the early mxpx stuff that gets re-recorded or or polished up and we're just like no it doesn't really doesn't sound like teenage politics we right. want it, I to, like sound it like, to sound bad we yeah. want it we want it yeah. to sound bad <laughs> um, so that yeah. you get your wish on that one so far from home sounds bad <laughs> <laughs> oh man I think uh, there's there's cool stuff going on there. Yeah. Um, yeah, so and one of the things that, you know, when one of the things we talked about with Brave Saint Saturn is that that we wanted it to sound more like ELO, more synthy, more bleeps and bloops, more sort of like, you know, space agey stuff, which I think, you know, you got a little bit more of that in... Um, in your second in the second record um but yeah the yeah the the two two references to brave or to uh to elo on the brave saint saturn records and then another you know uh sweet talking woman you know so there's clearly an elo elo love yeah (laughs) um so there's something else i wanted to this is kind of a uh this is on my desk have you guys heard this album you like bleeps and bloops (laughs) which one is that it's balance balance of power okay i gotta check it out it's also pop it is a pop masterpiece like if you like the 80s this is so good yeah awesome we've been uh yeah and i've i've been i've been on this big kevin max kick lately i I heard you talk about it i haven't (laughs) heard this album yeah romeo drive Listen to it. It's it it it's futuristic as hell, and it's it it's great. And apparently, he's coming out with a new a new record that is also very much in, in that vein again. I'm like, and this guy too is somebody who grew up. He's in in DC talk for God's sake, and now he considers himself like a socialist leftist, like hippie Christ lover. And I'm just like, I'm like yes, this guy, <laughs> my dude. <laughs> My dude, K-Max, getting it. Okay. Making the bleeps and bloops. <laughs> That's my homework this week is I will listen to it. Check it out. Check Do out that. his Twitter feed as well. <laughs> yeah, you should follow him on Twitter. He's He is a follow. Yeah, Here's get that my... get get that Reese Roper K-Max collab. <laughs> I'm going to tell you my Kevin Max stories. Oh, I, oh, I can't shit. wait. I'm yeah. into this. <laughs> so I was aware of Decent Christian Talk. And... <laughs> So I told you I loved Bismarcky. Sure. Uh, I went to high school in the hood. And so I I got a good schooling on rap. Like mm-hmm. I loved I loved public enemy. Yeah. Um 
I loved uh, like Run DMC so much. I loved like Big Daddy Kane and mm-hmm. um, Two Live Crew. Um, there were there were not for a long time very good Christian rap artists, especially DC Talk. <laughs> right. Um, I get it though. I mean, I I I love so I I have met all those dudes. And they're cool guys. Toby is so funny and so cool. Here's my Kevin Max story, though. Uh (laughs) So Cornerstone, and it was like the year we first year we played the main stage, and we I think we headlined the main stage. Did we headline? No, no, no. We did not. It was big though. I think we opened for MC Hammer. Yes. Okay. That sounds right. So it was huge. And I just was like, our band is doing okay. And I see Kevin Max in the merch tent, just hanging out, talking to people. And I'm like, I think I can go talk to Kevin Max. I have arrived. I have, (laughs) we played the main stage. We're doing all right. I go up and I'm like, Hey, I'm Reese. I'm from five iron frenzy. And he goes, he just looked confused. He was like, Oh, is that a band? Ooh, that's, <laughs> I was that's like, <laughs> Yes, it is oh, my man. band. We got to play here. <laughs> I thought, <laughs> the person oh, that was standing talking to him was just like incredulous. Just Kevin, Kevin, oh, man. They're, they're big. <laughs> but he just was like, he, he just seemed like, I don't know. He just seemed like he was not all there. So I'm not saying who knows. He was tired. Yeah. yeah, yeah. God bless him. Like, I don't care if he doesn't know about five arm frenzy to this day, but it seems unusual. I enjoyed that interaction because it was was just like, it was, it was like, guys, it was so funny. It was so funny. So then, like, maybe this was the last year Fiverr was around. This guy who is this old, I don't want to say old. He's an old dude now, but he's hes so cool. He used to book all the Christian shows in Denver. So anytime a Christian band played in Denver, like a big CCM act, he would book it. So half the songs that formed me as a as a musician, this guy booked. He booked all these shows at Red Rocks and stuff. This dude, but he and he used to manage Steve Taylor. Interesting. Oh wow. Yeah. You should do a podcast about <laughs> Steve Taylor. <laughs> That's hey, like season seven. Some ideas. Okay. <laughs> I like it. Spit uh, on. Also from also f- not from Denver, from the suburb of Lakewood. Okay. Um so uh so he calls me and he's like, Hey man do you want a motorcycle? And, and I, you know, I'm like, I don't not want a motorcycle. I guess, <laughs> I guess I want a motorcycle. And he's like, well, newsboys were through here and uh, Peter Furler left this motorcycle and he doesn't want to, he doesn't want me to have to ship it back. He wants it to go to a good person. Um, you want to come by and look at it? So I go down to this dude's house and, it's a like a 1979 Triumph Bonneville, so cool. 
Mm-hmm. And he's like, Peter says, you know, he wants like 8,000 bucks for this thing, but he doesn't, he doesn't care. He'll sell it to you for 2000. I'll talk him into it. So I get on the phone with Peter and like, I had talked to Peter at shows. Peter's a cool dude. He's like really laid back and cool. We've met him. <laughs> okay. <laughs> he's just like, all right, mate. Hey, you got the motorcycle. Love it. You just get in there. <laughs> you know? It's my motorcycle. It's my baby. He used to be Kevin Max's. <laughs> like, Perfect. What? So the, apparently DC Talk, one year they went to Creation Fest and they came in by helicopter. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> oh and boy. that was like their big entrance to this festival <laughs> of like 100,000 people. Uh-huh. And the next year they upped it. They were like, let's all ride in cool motorcycles. <laughs> Somehow this motorcycle oh, that Kevin Max had made it to Peter Furler and then, and then somehow made it to the bottom with Reese Roper. <laughs> know, that's, that's quite a Christian rock lineage that of that hog right there. Yeah. <laughs> I mean that's Amazing. some uh, that's some I don't know, that's some uh, Liberty Liberty University <laughs> virgin, you know, money right there. That's not a Yeah, for real. That oh, is man. That is not five-minute walk money. No. I mean, no. well, maybe Kevin wishes he had a time machine and could go back and redo that interaction with you. He's probably like, why did I blank on five iron? Who knows? Yeah. <laughs> Tell him to call me. <laughs> okay, we'll do it. <laughs> get, get him on the pod. Yeah, I would uh, love yeah. I would live, love to get Kevin Max on the pod. Um, so, uh, Reese, um, you know that we, we like to play games on this pod. Oh man. And so we have I respect ha- your games. <laughs> That's the best pull quote this, for this is, this is not <laughs> I so much this is um this is not so much a game as it is a uh this is like lightning round. A, a Sophie's choice, so to speak. <laughs> um we did I did something similar with Steve Kravak. Um but this is a game that I'm calling which is doper with Reese Roper? I'm going to tell you a category, and you're going to have to tell me which of the two options is doper. Are you ready for this? I'm so ready. <laughs> okay. Uh, best burrito in Denver, Sam's number three or Illegal Pete's? Sam's number three. All right, tell me, tell me about because I'm seeing when I was looking this up, it seems like uh, the smothered burrito seems to be a thing in Sounds Denver. Great. So tell me, tell me about, tell me about Sam's number three and what what makes them that's so ex- good. Yeah, that's exactly it. It's, it's a smothered burrito. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so the smothering, the, the it's like a, a it comes up from New Mexico. They make this fantastic green chili and they put it on burritos and that's that's the Sounds way to awesome. do it yeah so is it like Little a green is good a green sauce or or a red sauce what is it it is a green sauce but the so this is gonna offend you too um <laughs> it is like a pork it's like a chili made of pork and mm, okay. so sam's is it's, they've got their own twists on it. It's kind of like an orangish. I don't know what is in it to make it orange, but it's good. I'm it's sure spicy. It's, it's spicy, a little bit. Nice. Um, but the New Mexicans, they they do the hatch chilies, 
Mm, yeah. So it's whatever the soil is in Hatch, New Mexico makes these chilies taste like otherworldly. So they make a, a green chili sauce out of it. I'm into it. Pork. I'm into Hatch chilies. I'm sure um, there is a, a vegan version though. Yeah. I'm, there's got to be. It's great. Um, all right. Best venue to play at. I'm just making that, that distinction, not necessarily that enjoying a show, but the best venue that you play at. To play, you play at. Fillmore Auditorium or Gothic Theater. The Fillmore? I'm going to say the Fillmore. Okay. So the Gothic, though, used to be this just dirty, like, I think it was, they showed porn there, and then they started having punk rock and metal shows there nice. in the 80s. And um, you guys talking about Vengeance Rising a couple weeks ago? Uh, yeah. <laughs> Keith, Keith and I saw Vengeance Rising there. You could get in the pit, and if you fell, which was pretty much inevitable, you would get hepatitis. <laughs> <laughs> That's their guarantee. <laughs> there, there was about 10 years of just filth and sweat and blood and old needles buried in the floor there. Nice. And now now it's like this trendy kind of yuppie bar, and it's really nice and and beautiful. Um, hepatitis it, free. Hepatitis free, <laughs> except the the backstage is in a basement, and it, I think they just moved the hepatitis. <laughs> so the, the venue is it's nice. It's been relocated. Yes. But uh, it's disappointing for me to play there because I miss the old days. Sure. All right. Now we're going to talk bands. Devachka or Nathaniel Rateliff and the Night Sweats? Nathaniel Rateliff and the Night Sweats. Okay. I don't think I okay. knew they were Denver bands. Well, he's I think he's he's not originally from from uh, from Colorado, but he moved there when he was a teenager. And so okay. but I think he has a pretty deep some deep roots in the Denver music scene from what I understand. Yes. Would you uh, would you ever do a show with them? Of course, sure. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like a good show. Dear Nathaniel Reese Mons, um, beer, New Belgium or Oscar Blues? So this is something I was afraid would come up on the pod. <laughs> okay. Uh-oh. I don't like beer. Oh, okay. That's fair. That's, that's my gin and tonic. But right. um, I'm going to say New Belgium. I do like Fat Tire. I mean, like. Sure. There's So I don't want to say I don't like all beers. I like PBR in a, bo- in a bottle. And I like Bud Light. <laughs> Listen, Reese, next time you're next time you're in Minneapolis, I'm gonna treat you to some hands, all right? Because if you're hands, it sounds wonderful. When you it talk is, about it, I'm very excited. It's it is crisp and light and refreshing and it's a lager. So if you like, you know, not much not much of a uh, bite or you know, malt or hop profile, then then you'll be a hams man. So everyone in the band likes beer except me. They like, but I I always make fun of them because I I feel like it always tastes like sweaty leather or a, <laughs> or a battery. <laughs> sure. Oh, okay. In, unless it's just a 
piss water pilsner. You know, I think you're. I think. Yeah, maybe maybe your tongue is just broken because <laughs> drinking batteries. I don't know. That sounds like sounds like a problem. There you go. Got that chin. I mean, I think we still need to make Portermobile uh, five iron beer happen. <laughs> I agree. I don't want to discourage anyone from making a five iron beer. <laughs> I was trying to remember. Was that our best effort? I can't remember if we had some other. I don't. Uh, yeah, I don't. I don't know. I don't remember. We had a. We have. We have a bunch of a uh, bunch of ideas. So I can't yeah. remember any of them. Anyway. If someone made a five iron whiskey or hey. gin or vodka, oof, yes, I'd be so much. More I'll um. I'll get um. I'll get started on that five iron whiskey, and I'll get back to you in ten years. <laughs> like there's some kind of. See the flames begin to crawl. Whiskey, there's something going on there. Something, something nice and peated, like a nice smoky, something there. All right, Um, little Hemingway, Old Man in the Sea, or Farewell to Arms. Old Man in the Sea. So, let me clarify. (laughs) Yeah, it's the best book ever written. Okay, okay. uh, hot so takes hot takes only this it is about being a middle-aged man <laughs> <laughs> sounds yeah. like we're, we're which is there hasn't been a there hasn't been a lot of uh of writing done about the perspective of white men so that's that's a curious <laughs> yeah. i think i read it i think i read it in high school but I, i'm obviously due for like an actual read of it again yeah, fare, farewell to arms i think was a, a, a high school read i don't know if i've ever read old man in the city Farewell to Arms, I would say, is number three on my Hemingway list. For Whom the Bell Tolls, so beautiful. It's so good. Yeah. But Old Man in the Sea, it's it's not as beautiful. It just it just hurts more. It's so. It, yeah. it just tells the truth. Mm, I love that. Um, last one. And this is truly. The Sophie's Choice, if I've ever heard one. Um, best pizza in Staunton, Virginia, Shenandoah or Stella Mia? Of those two, or do you want to hear the real best pizza? <laughs> yes. Well, a bit between these two, let's go. Let's stick within the uh, the confines of the game, and then you tell me how I how I chose the wrong options. Shenandoah, probably. Of those two, there's a couple. It just depends. I like New York style, and there's a couple places here. Thank you for for looking up where I live. <laughs> this is what I do. That. This is what I do, yeah. bro. There's a place called the Abbey, and they okay. they um, it's like a microbrewery. Plus, they have all these other microbreweries. That's their thing, and they make the best pizza. Ooh, sounds good. Yeah, pizza but it's New beer, York it's a winning style. combo. So if you like it, it's good. All right. Yeah. Is that uh, is that the game? That is that is uh, which is doper with Reese Roper. <laughs> Crushed it. Thank you. Uh, thank you for playing. <laughs> all, all your listeners are welcome to come have pizza with me in oh, in uh, in Stanton, Virginia. Is it yeah. Stanton? Sorry. Get I ready said, for I this. S- Get ready for another story. <laughs> <laughs> so Stanton, it was spared during the Civil War. Um, Grant, I think Grant and Stonewall Jackson both ran their campaigns out of here when they were going after the, the Shenandoah Valley. And, um, so they spared it. So it's got this wonderful, beautiful downtown that is all old things. 
Um, but after the Civil War, the the people of Stanton, Virginia, of Staunton, which is how it was pronounced, decided if they called it Stanton, like in a northern accent, that they if they just said that, the northerners would correct them and go to the English pronunciation to Staunton. So they could tell who who was from the north. That's fascinating. So it's Stanton if you want to blend in, but it's really Staunton. All right. Yeah. Fascinating. Fascinating. That's Bert, so yeah. I failed I failed the test. You're from the north. I'm from the north. <laughs> I am I'm fully fully Chicago raised. This is so. a real boogaloo boogaloo situation all over again. <laughs> it truly is. Uh, yep. Accidental racist. That's um, another I'm just blowing it. That's not, Any, that's not how well, we went in this. <laughs> it's the birthplace of Woodrow Wilson. Okay. Who is a purposeful racist. <laughs> is that what the sign says when you come into town? It does. It's like Woodrow Wilson purpose, purposefully purposeful racist. racist. <laughs> so he gets a bad rap because he wouldn't meet with um, some like a lot of the up and coming black leaders during mm-hmm. the, the um, during the, what the, I guess it was the teens. Right. Um, so Kennedy did the same thing, but everybody thinks Kennedy's like the greatest president. ever. Right. 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 Yeah. So not that it was right, but it, right. 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 It was just, it's like you have to forgive your grandparents for being racist. <laughs> yeah. We, um, we, long history of presidents <laughs> doing the wrong thing when it comes yes. to <laughs> civil rights. Yeah. Um, well, I, have, I, have, I, have, I have one final, final question. Let's hear it. Um, will we ever hear anything from Pool Party Death Machine? <laughs> kind of. Is that Will that yeah. be an actual thing? Cause, so you've heard half of it. Um, so mm-hmm. pool party death machine was, it, it was originally, um, Matt Langston and me and we had Nick who was the drummer and roper and Joey Belleville from the echoing green. Okay. We were all going to make a new wave record. Love it. And it, we, it all started just cause I love new wave. So I love that yellow album I just showed oh. you. Yeah. Love new wave. I love the bleeps and bloops. <laughs> Um, so I was like, I, I'm also not the best songwriter as you can hear in my music, <laughs> but mm-hmm. I, I was like, Hey, let's, I, if I talk to these guys, maybe I can put together a good album. So originally those four people and, uh, I don't know if Joey just signed on because he, he felt bad for me. He's got a lot going on. So he kind of faded out. Nick was just waiting for us to get something so we could record. So Matt and I were going back and forth. Scott, for this album that we're working on with Fiverr, and he was like, come on, man, I need you to start writing lyrics. And, and I told him, hey, I, I can't. I need, you know, like I, I got to finish this thing first. I've been working on it for a couple of years, and I just want to put all my effort into this. Um. And so he, he said, well, let me, let me help you. Can I help you with it? And so he and Matt and I were working on it. We decided to call it Pool Party Death Machine. And then um, we worked on it for about a year and a half. And then Scott and Matt just 
kind of pulled away from me direction wise. My idea was to make it more eighties new wave. And Matt is, have you guys heard the new 117 album? Mm-hmm. I don't think so. Everyone listen to that. Like cool. if, if you can get it up, it is oh, it's phenomenal. It's so good. It so Matt is, is very good at writing kind of this K-pop hooky. Um, so 117 is, is barely, they barely hit the radar in the United States, but they're huge in Japan and he's very good at writing that. Um, so he and Scott, took that, made it the fast feeling. Mm. And I'm supposedly taking my own eighties inspired stuff and making an, another project, which I call heart wrench. Cool. And I've got 13 songs. Yes. Yes. Um, Is this what you were alluding to the other day? You posted some picture of your little rig setup that this that you've been, it's where you've been lately. <laughs> or something like that. That's just my little desk. I'm at it now. I just I have like three keyboards and and this is how I I write. Um, the problem is it's it's too small of a room, so I can't mix very well, and mm. that I think has slowed everything down. Um, but yeah, it's it's close. I think what's holding that up right now is that all of a sudden Five Iron is ready. Right. Sure. You know we have these songs and everybody's really kind of pouring the gas on that. Um, I was just about ready to start the Kickstarter on it. Um, so I have, I have, it, it was ready, but I'm, I don't want this to get in the way of, of the new five iron album. So I'm kind of pushing it back. Sure. Well, I eagerly await the heart wrench fast feeling uh, tour. Uh, Leonard said fast feeling was dead, but I want to hear those songs live badly. And, uh, I think we should make this happen. Agreed. (laughs) Awesome. Hey, Reese, thank you for being on our podcast. (laughs) I love you guys so much. This was so much fun. This is, yeah, it's been so great. Blows our mind that you (laughs) listen to it and engage with it. And this has been such a fun conversation. So thanks, man. I don't want your future podcast to be influenced by the fact that you think I'm listening. So I'm just <laughs> I'm telling you this right now. Uh, I'm not going to listen to anything after, after the the last one. And so you just talk complete shit about me. Okay. <laughs> totally fair. No, uh, we, no, I mean, yeah. we're, we haven't even gotten the engine yet and that's all going to be, uh, you know, well, I don't know. Maybe you want the hot takes. I guess you like that. You know, who knows? I got. I might have some BS2 hot takes left for Anti Meridian. So you're gonna talk about the DVD. And that yeah, needs, that's true. <laughs> I did. There needs to be so much shit talked about that. You know, hey, you know, one of the things that we, I don't, I don't know if you listened to our conversation uh, with uh, Danny and Jess from um, from the Sadie, Hawkins, K, pod. the Sadie Hawkins pod, but we were talking about there needs to be like a fan edit of the documentary. So it's like down to like maybe 90 minutes or something like that. I'll I'll send, I'll send that person the footage if they want it. Exactly. I mean, I've got the hard drive. You can have it. (laughs) Here's what I will say. Like, I understand that criticism, but for like real hardcore fans seeing that deep a dive is, I mean, you want, a lot of it so yeah i appreciate that it's it's a little shaggy but it's like very you feel like you're in the band 
it was it's just my tendency to be like i have to finish this we've we talked about that the entire time we were in five iron uh-huh. we, we would film stuff and we we're like we need to make a long form video right right we need to yeah. keep doing this and finally we broke up and i i was going to nursing school and i had some time so i started doing it and yeah got just got overwhelmed with work and i was like it's fine it's three hours. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, I remember thinking there's like at uh, one point Andy, I think, is talking to the camera like a long time ago and he's like, Is this for the long form movie? And I was like, Oh, this has been planned for quite some time. Yeah, we uh, just I don't know where where the idea came from, but we were like I, I always wanted to to make film and be a director, so I would just kind of carry around a camera and be like, Hey, yeah. put this in a long form video. And that stuff all was there. Well, yeah. I've always I've always thought of that documentary as uh, the Scorsese of you know <laughs> of band documentaries. Man, you, know, you know, Scorsese uh, directed a ton of band documentaries, right? <laughs> <laughs> of the literal band. Anyway, that's, that's for another podcast. Yeah, um, we're grateful that that DVD exists. I, I mean, I really like the fact that the whole live show is on the second disc is a gift. I don't know. Like, I, I'm I'm grateful it's in the world. We'll get there. We'll we'll have our hot takes on the episode too. Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah. There is. There should have been a director's cut, except the director <laughs> just was you. Yeah. <laughs> that was it. That's the reason. Well. I appreciate it. <laughs> Words and all. Yeah. Um, thanks for talking nonsense with us. Uh, thanks, Reese. Yeah, it's been a lot of fun. Thanks, you guys. Appreciate it. Thank you so much to our new BFF, Reese Roper. Uh, we so appreciate him taking the time talking to us about so many fun things. It's a great conversation. Um, if you want to give your feedback about this conversation, let us know over at Magnified Pod on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Subscribe to the pod if you haven't already and give us a rating or a review, please. Five stars. We'll read your review. Email us at magnifiedpod at gmail.com. You can leave us a voicemail at 872-762-4763, 877-MAGPOD. You can pick up some sweet merch, and we did stock the shop with some new second season <laughs> Five Iron Adjace, our newest podcast ever, artwork uh, on our merch, so go check that out. What do we got? We got t-shirts, mugs, yeah. tote bags, phone cases. Yeah, we're going to be getting some more stuff up there, but... Um, yeah, it's, it's some pretty, I, I ordered myself, um, uh, a coffee mug because I think the logo looks dope. Um, I did, I did, did both logos. There's one side that says our newest podcast ever. Another side has our, our Andrew John logo. That's right. So if you want to enjoy some coffee or some adult bevies, mm-hmm. some my Thai PAs, what have you in your mug while you listen to the pod, we support that. Go check that out over at magnifiedpod.storeenvy.com. 
you can support us at patreon.com slash magnified pod. You know, we've mentioned it's been a little dormant over there, but we're going to get some action going again. Become one of our Patreon punks and support us. And thanks to shadow producer Jason at Unoriginal Vinyl. And thanks to Heavy Ordnance Studios and Danny Lurie for our artwork. Well, time is winding down, but only for this app. We want you to be found and join the next episode. <laughs>